0: Prior to completing this week's episode on Enemy of the State, news broke that the son of one of the film's main stars, Regina King, tragically took his own life on his 26th birthday. Upon hearing this news, I immediately spoke with our guests for the episode, Cam and Scott from the SpyHards podcast, and we would all like to first offer our sincerest condolences to Regina King and her family during this difficult time. But we'd also like to dedicate this episode to her and her late son, Ian Alexander Jr. If you ever need help or if you're going through a tough time and don't think you're worth it, please know that you are and get help by immediately calling the suicide hotline at 1-800-723-8255. Thank you.
1: When's the last time you contacted somebody you knew? When we stopped for food. Didn't I tell you not to use the telephone? I called from a payphone.
2: What did I tell you? You told me no calls. I told you no calls. Get the cat. Get the cat. What's the cat's name? Babe. Come here, baby. Come here, come here, baby. Baby, come, come. come here. Come here. Ah! Ha 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 Williams, get the hell out of there! This bitch is going to blow! Go, go, go!
1: like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing, or like the type of podcast you listen to at work.
3: So let's get down to the nitty gritty.
1: Hello
0: again, and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, a weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it that full film effect treatment. I'm Ed.
4: I'm Sean. And I'm Kim. And I'm Scott.
0: And this is Enemy of the State.
4: Yeah, so Julie,
2: I'm going to finish up my Christmas shopping. Hey, do chicks dig lingerie?
5: Hi. Hey, hi. What size?
2: Yeah, right. She's, oh, she's, a, she's a six.
5: What about cup size?
2: I'm sorry? Oh. Oh, she's way bigger than that. I mean, not noticeably. Oh. Help me.
1: Robert Clayton Dean.
3: He's a D.C. labor attorney. <laughs> Take us around to the other side. Focus on the drop. Is it a tape?
1: A powerful
3: man has been murdered. Holy. A hidden camera recorded the crime. None of this goes beyond us. We don't need any more problems, do we? An innocent bystander. Are
0: oh, those my Christmas present?
2: In your dreams, buddy. Dad. Was given the evidence. We have reason to believe that Mr. Zavitz may have passed sensitive materials to you. Uh, no, he, he didn't pass me anything. How did you happen to be at Ruby's today? I was shopping for some lingerie. That's still legal, isn't it? For your wife? No, I was uh, picking something up for myself. I do a little cross-dressing on the weekends. (laughs) Let's get into his life. Produced by
3: Jerry Bruckheimer. Take his wife and kid, he give it up for them.
2: (laughs) Target switching.
1: Directed by Tony Scott. Why
2: are they after me? Two targets, rooftop. You have something they want! I don't (laughs) have anything! Immediate keyhole visual tasking. Target is on 21. Don't do this to me. 19. Been a law abiding citizen my whole life. One day with you, shoot. He's running! He's on your six o'clock! Will Smith. Certainly carjacked a really nice car. Gene Hackman, you're either incredibly smart or incredibly stupid. We'll see in a minute. Enemy of the state. Should have gotten our watch.
0: An enemy of the state, a lawyer becomes targeted by a corrupt politician and his NSA goons when he accidentally receives key evidence to a politically motivated crime. So if a couple of names or voices in that intro sounded you guys, it's because we have special guests for this episode of the podcast. So let's introduce our guests for this one. We got Cam and Scott from... The Spy Hards podcast. Thank you guys so much for doing this with us.
4: Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Welcome to the film effect, guys. Pleasure. Thank you.
0: So, Enemy of the State. Um, any early memories for this film? Uh, this I, this is a movie uh, that harkens way back from me. It was one that I saw very very early on. I it was one of the first DVDs I ever owned. Um, I've, I've just been a really big fan of this movie and, and it goes outside of because you know I'm just gonna get this out of the way right now Filmed in Baltimore a lot of the places in this movie are right in our backyard a lot of it um, I'm familiar with a lot of the locations and all but this film could have been filmed in like you know Boise, Idaho and it, it would have made a difference to me. It would have been the same You know, I, I, I just think there's a lot about this film that I think is a uh, Cool, unique. I, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of aspects of this movie. You know, I think it's one of Tony Scott's best uh, films. Anyone else?
1: Uh, for me, it's going to be. It, it was the hometown draw. Obviously, I remember when they were filming. Um, and I've got a friend of mine who's, who's been doing local stunt work around here for better part of forty some odd years. It's, uh, in fact. I'm not mistaken this is they were filming this when Will and Jada got married Um, but that was my big problem, aside from it being the new Tony Scott thriller I'm like let's check out all the you know all the locations that we've been
2: to right
1: and and see frequently because there's at least two or three shots in this film where Ed and I have been like "Uh, yep we we were kind of right there having a hot dog a few (laughs) years later you know
4: I've For me, my draw, I guess, or the initial reason that I was really excited for this movie back in 98 was that this was a Bruckheimer film. And this is right after the Bruckheimer resurgence, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So it was like I'd seen The Rock in theaters. I'd Mm -hmm. seen Con Air. And this was the next one in line. And obviously, Will Smith was a big deal. You had Independence Day two years earlier, Men in Black in 97. So, like, it was kind of this, uh, you know, perfect storm of what would appeal to 18-year-old me at the time. Well, this would have been, if I'm not
1: mistaken, maybe not the first, but one of his first films he did after Don Simpson. Yeah, because yeah. the
0: last film Don Simpson produced was The Rock. It was actually dedicated to right. him. Um, and then,
1: and then he 97
0: you know, was Con Air. So yeah, that, that no, 97 was Con Air. So that, that yeah. would have been the first one.
1: Because yeah, but I was gonna say because it's you know Simpson's nowhere in the you know in the opening credit. No, box, no. So by, by the time had, Con Air
0: came around, he was no longer a part of the off. Uh, production logo
1: yeah he had he had uh, coked out by then yeah, <laughs> and, you can say that you know, that's exactly what happened with that guy
0: yeah he uh, lived a very lifestyle rock star
1: lifestyle <laughs> and at, the, at the end of the day he was fucking Lee Donovan from fucking
2: from true romance. oh yeah absolutely I mean I know the characters a loose
1: interpretation. right I, I know that character is a loose interpretation of Joel Silver but you know the personality is total Don Simpson
4: yeah he was a, a wild man who lived many lives in a very yeah. short a period of time. Yeah. yeah, he did. Definitely. Lifetime of stories in
1: 45 years. And I'm, yeah. with,
0: I'm with you there, Cam. Uh, Bruckheimer was definitely, the film could have been about two dogs finding their way home. And if it, was a, if it was a Jerry Bruckheimer production, I was in. Did not matter, you know. Yeah. that That logo alone sold me back in the 90s. So how about you, Scott? Any memories of this film?
5: Well, you're clearly saving the best till last. Oh, absolutely. In the last place. But uh, unfortunately, I have nothing to say. As listeners to Spy Hards will know, despite having been going to the cinema since I was very, very young, I've never seen almost anything. So I had never seen this film. And the only time I'd ever really heard of it is when we put it on our master list of spy films that we curated for the podcast. So I'd never seen it and barely ever heard of it. So this
0: is your first time seeing it for this
5: absolutely oh i'm really
1: so excited to talk to you now i was uh there there's a there's a big point that that i'm that i'm anxious to discuss on this um and and edna going back and forth and um uh scott you telling me what you just did like maybe it's what i'm getting at here is this to me I, i am i am in that camp that believes this is a sequel to Coppola's the conversation
5: mm-hmm.
1: and the character Gene Hackman's character of Edward Lyle, it is Harry Call living under assumed identity twenty some odd years. Where are you guys at with with Francis Ford Coppola's the conversation from my
4: absolutely love it. Um, this one is definitely riffing off of what The Rock did, where you had Connery basically playing James Bond, and here yeah. you've got Gene Hackman as you know basically Harry Call mentoring. Just like in The Rock, sort of a younger guy who's in over his head. So uh, I don't know that I quite look at it as a sequel to the conversation, but it's definitely having fun with that kind of concept.
1: I don't want to. I don't want to go off to say it's a sequel, but I am a firm believer that the characters are one in the same. And oh, there's, yeah. there's there there there's there's hints given throughout the last half of the film that we're looking at Harry Call. You know, under his assumed identity, after he's you know left San Francisco, you know, given everything that went down back. His
0: I mean,
3: you well, can they, be, I
1: mean, we're, we're, we're going to touch it.
0: You can call this a spiritual sequel. You know, call it that
1: to an extent. Yeah, but there's there there's enough there that justifies. I see. It's some. never been you know, there, it's it's never been confirmed nor denied. By you know Brockheimer or anybody involved, but it's going to take a lot of convi- It's going to take a lot of arguments to convince me that Edward Lyle and Harry Cole are not the same. Well, they, I'm a
4: firm believer. They even use a photo of Harry Cole in yes. the film. Exactly. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the still yeah. shot. I mean, yeah.
1: and, and and we'll touch upon. it. Like I was telling Ed today, I'm like, dude, not only is it one of Coppola's finest, but it's one of Cazal's fewest. You owe it to you, you know to sit down. And such a... Yeah. And it, I, it puts that edge in paranoia.
0: Like I've said, unfortunately, I don't have a dog in this fight. I've never seen the conversation. It's your copy I'm borrowing right now, isn't it, Sean?
1: Yeah, yeah. I okay. was going to say, I went to look for it. I was like, dude, I got it here. No, Thank God I got you it. I said that cause I'm like, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so, Yeah. You, you really should sit down with that, man. You'll take you'll it. It's, it's a bit of a nail-biter. You know, it's, it's not... Yeah, you know, I'm gonna say it's it's not a, it's not action packed like this because it's not a Bruckheimer film, but it's definitely edgy, or see tense espionage. What's gonna happen next? Holy fuck! Yeah, I got you. It's definitely it, it it'll definitely keep. you All
0: right, so let's talk first time viewings. Uh, it's it's just that you see this is actually uh, my my first time. No, no, no for it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's. My second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, uh, for me it's easy. I saw this opening weekend in the theater, um, opening like I said, uh, East Point movie theaters here, uh, local theater in Baltimore, in the back, auditorium number four, big screen, <laughs> in '98, like stadium seating and stuff like that was like kind of a rare thing still at the multiplex, and auditorium four had just that plus you know that yeah if you
1: yeah if you went to east point and your ticket said four you won the fucking lottery you had you had you had charlie Bucket's golden ticket at that
0: point so yeah seeing it you know that i I believe it was a sunday afternoon with me and my cousin uh when we saw this and just you know sitting there and just taking it in uh yeah it was just a a moment i i want to say i saw this a second time in the theaters but i'm not 100 i i do know i saw it that opening weekend with my cousin so um We'll go around, Robin. Sean, go next. How about you?
1: Uh, uh, me, I, I don't th- I, I don't recall seeing it in the theater, but I definitely uh, brought it home um, within within its early releases on you know on on, on DVD. I distinctly remember um, watching it at the time I was staying with uh, my mom. You remember, mom used to have a little you know had the house over in Rosedale. Mm-hmm. We used to gotta to watch it. You know, we would all play Madden and stuff. I remember watching right. it there in that basement. And I started kind of putting the conversation bits together. And then sure enough, that scene of, uh, of his, of his uh, NSA file shot, yeah. right. The still shot. I'm like, I'll be damned if, if I wasn't right upon that. I kind of felt like, you know, I patted myself on the back sitting there on the futon watching this, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I rented it. I, I didn't, I didn't go to the theater. Um, not sure why, but you know, to me, the appeal was, yeah, it's a cool little action flick, but it's more about let's see where they shot down. Right, right, right. How about you, Cam? How about you? Your first time.
4: Yeah, I went out opening weekend with a group of friends and we were all primed for it. And I think we all really enjoyed it. It's not one that like loomed large in my mind. Like The Rock I've seen countless times over the course of my life. Same with Con Air. Mm-hmm. But uh this one really dug it, you know, seeing it in theaters, but I don't I'd never watched it since. And oh, wow. there's no no great reason for this, just I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah. So many movies, hey, so little time.
1: Cam, I'm I'm in that same camp and I'm actually kind of, gla- I don't want to say I'm glad I waited 25 years, but I was a little leery. I was talking to Ed and I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm a little worried about it because never watched this in so long. I don't want to have to go all long kiss goodnight on this
2: motherfucker.
1: <laughs> and... I'll be damned if, if it was It was better than I remembered, and I don't know why I never even bothered giving it a, um, an additional viewing before today. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Do I love it? No, mm-hmm. but is it a good, is it a cool ride? Yeah, it was, you know, it's pretty slick as long as you, you know, let some, you know, cinematic leaps of faith and logic be damned. Right.
4: Yeah, I have more appreciation for what it's doing now just in terms of where I am as a movie viewer now versus then just in... Understanding more the career of Tony Scott at the time, like I don't know that I put a lot of um, weight in the fact Tony Scott was directing it. Whereas now I just have a far better understanding of sort of his filmography.
0: Yeah, this was a kind of a die down period, so to speak, for Tony Scott because after this, I want to say he kind of got wrapped up in like smaller movies that weren't big explosive pieces like this, like uh they did Spy Game. I wanna say he followed this up with Spy Game, which I've only seen it once. It was when I first came out on DVD about twenty years ago. And I just remember that being I was underwhelmed with Spy Game because it was just oh, it wasn't explosive dude. like this was. I was expecting that.
1: Dude, that 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 is one of my all time favorite Tony Scott films, and I think mainly because it feels like it's like really how, you know, how the shit works. Right. I mean, we, let, let's face it, you and Ed, you and I live in a dangerous town. We're 45 minutes from the capital of the, uh, of the entire United States. And guys, if you're not familiar with, with where we're at, just here watch in The Baltimore. Wire. Just watch The Wire. It's not right, far pretty off. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> but, but Ed and I are never two degrees of separation or an average of 100 feet from a possible black ops spy living here. Cause most of your Sam Fishers from Splinter Cell and shit like that, they live in fucking Maryland. Yeah,
2: like Cause it's just Bethesda a 45 minute
1: drive across the Potomac. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if, and my, you know, my mother was department of defense. She, you know, she, she, there's shit. She still can't tell me about what she did for a living Yeah. because she knew people like, you know, like these guys. You know, so, you know, it kind of plays close to home. Like, we are the heart of the national, of NSA. Right. NSA is right here.
0: So, yeah, Spy Game came after this. Um, I got his filmography up right here in front of me. And then, that was three years after this. And then, he waited another three years to do his film after that, which was Man on Fire. Which, okay, that's an explosive movie. Literally, from a guy's ass. But, it's... (laughs) I don't know. I just think that was kind of a quiet period for the man. He was coming off of Crimson Tide, The Fan. Hey, Where are you guys at on The Fan? Anyone seen The Fan? It's, 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 it, it, it,
1: it. I I've, I tried to give it another run not too long ago, <laughs> and it slogs. Um, I think around this, around this time of his career, I think my favorite output that he's done is Spy Game. Ed, I think you should give that one another look. Mandy and I just watched it a couple months back. And I mean, it's, I don't know, there's just, it's, that film is like literally somehow Tony Scott was able to get in there with these black ops guys. And it feels, it feels real and legit, like how these operations are run and carried out with a mentor and a trainee. You know, let's face it back then in what, 99, 2000, Robert, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt we're spitting image of, you know, handsome father and son, you know, mm-hmm. they just work together. It's just like, I, I, Spy Games one of my all time favorite Ridley Scott films. Um, and I, I just, I just like what he did with that.
4: He's yeah. also doing what he did with this movie where it's, um, in that case, Redford evoking his character from three days of the condor with my, exactly. Yeah. With a exactly. younger character. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that could be, that could almost be argued the same way, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah, Three Days at a Condor. um, uh, Cam, what are your thoughts on Warren Beatty's Parallax View? I did a one-two punch with those, never seen them before, and doubled up one night Yeah, Parallax View, and Three Days
4: at a Condor just kind of got into that mood.
1: How do you feel about that film?
4: Scott and I actually just talked about Parallax View, oh, maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. It's just like this really taut... Very, I love how seventies it is, but just yeah. the paranoia of it, and that brainwashing sequence is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and it and it and it it it, it doesn't leave you warm and fuzzy at the end. It doesn't mm. end where you where where you think a Hollywood you know movie would end, especially back then. It was kind of ballsy to go for that. Oh yeah, let's do live top five.
2: Rob, it's your turn.
1: Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Uh, Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return?
2: Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, <laughs> shut
1: up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that
2: would be on my list.
1: And though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is radiation oh. ruling the nation. We're
0: doing top five films featuring a massive standoff in it. Or some will say a Mexican standoff, uh, but either way, uh, I'll kick it off. My number five is kind of a rare gem that no one ever talks about. It's a film that came out about five six years ago. It's called Free Fire. Are you guys familiar with it?
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh, is
1: that the one with with Charlton Copley, um,
0: Bree um, Larson? Like Bree Larson's
1: in it. Okay, so do, do, don't you have that on your voodoo or something? I keep hovering over it. And have yet to pull the trigger, but it seems like like Army Hammer's in it. I think it's 770. Yeah, Army
0: Hammer's in it, yeah. It's like
1: a, it's like a bunch of arms dealers in a warehouse. I've never mm-hmm. seen it, but it seems intriguing. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to tell you, I finally watched your copy of Cop Shop the other day, and that blew me the fuck away because it was not what I thought. Wasn't that movie. fun? So that was fun, dude. I did not know that that, that was like a modern-day kick-in-the-balls assault on Precinct 13 cop shop was cool I kind of regret not going with you that time you invited me to go to the theater we went to fells Point instead um so I'm hoping free fire plays the same way like do, do you have that on your voodoo or I just seen it on another
0: stream I think it is I don't know I have so many movies on that voodoo okay account. now that
1: it's... it made your list I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a run because it like the trailer looked fun and it's one that I, like, kept putting yeah, in the maybes for the nights And then I went to something else. It's and
0: literally like an hour-and-a-half shootout. The movie, like, and, kicks off. And then, it and, like, the whole movie takes place in, like, the one setting. And it's pretty much, like, just a gunfight for an hour-and-a-half. It's really wild. Um, I've talked to some people about it. Um, funny enough, uh, a handful of them are underwhelmed by the movie. Um, they thought it was just better and just poor execution, um, but I don't know. I I had fun with it. I thought it was a wild movie, and uh, kind of got uh, overlooked uh, around the time that it came out. So, uh,
1: yeah, I've been glancing at it, and then just like like I said, I put it on a maybe. Like, yeah, maybe I'll watch this tonight and find something else every time. Yeah. Now that you've said it, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a point for the next time. Me and your lady sit down for dinner and a movie. I'm gonna watch that.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. How about you, Sean? What's your number
1: five? Uh, my number five is gonna be Peppa's the Wild Bunch. Mm. I like it. That bloody porch shootout, man. That's a motherfucker, man. You didn't see shit like that back in the late sixties till Sam got some cocaine and got involved. Yeah, so yeah, my uh, my number five standoff is pretty much
4: Act Three of Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch.
0: All right, Cam, you're next. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I have I think a bunch of favorites uh for a little later in the list, but I thought it would be fun to shout out one that maybe people don't really remember that much, and it's the 2001 movie Enemy at the Gates, which has a similar title to the movie we're talking about today. It does. Which Always has threw me off. Yeah. And so like you have prolonged sniper face-offs between Jude Law and Ed it Harris just that's has like Ed the entire Harris, third right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So that one has some very very cool standoffs.
1: I've known of it, but I've just, I don't know why, like, that premise just always seemed boring to me. Aren't they like snipers in, like, World War
4: II or something? Yeah, yeah, in the Russian... It just, um, it seemed like, yeah. it, like, it,
1: it it always seemed like it would just kind of be a snooze fest or a slog for me to get through. I've never been intrigued by that.
4: film. It's pretty intense. It's worth watching. I'm not going to say it's all one right. of the all-time greats, but it's worth watching. Right, right, right. But there's worse ways you can kill two hours, I guess. Exactly. All
1: right, all right. Put it on the list. All right, Scott.
5: I had a bit of trouble putting this list together because I realised <laughs> off the top of my head I couldn't name that many But uh, in terms of standoffs. So it took a little bit of like diving into research. But for number five, I've got uh, a British film staple, Shaun of the Dead. Ooh. Yeah, nice old nice standoff. I do like it. <laughs> yeah, in the pub towards the end, you got the uh, half the protagonists yeah. standing off against the other ones yeah, with the corkscrew right. and uh, don't hit oh. my mum. Yeah. Nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm with you. All right, my number four is Face Off. I had to throw that in there at the at the end in, in the church with the doves because John Woo gotta have the doves. Um, it's 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 wild. I mean, Face Off and it's just the premise alone. And the fact it's Nick Cage and John Travolta. It's wild enough. Just it's pretty rad. Face Off at the end, the stand up, stand off. Sorry, um, I like it. Sean. Yeah, you?
1: I mean I, I remember seeing a face off in the theater. I could practically see yeah. the teeth marks in the in the celluloid where the two of them were just chewing through the entire fucking film. <laughs> What's your uh, uh four? My my number my number four we you and I just covered uh, a week ago was Reservoir Dogs. I I you know it's not a massive standoff, but it's a legendary Mexican standoff. So oh, I yeah. put Reservoir Dogs in number four. Definitely. All right.
4: Yeah. Cam. Yeah, my number four is uh Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that is the scene where Indy has the rocket launcher aimed at the Ark of the Covenant and the Nazis are all training their guns on him. And it's a, really, a great scene because it's just about, you know, Dr. Jones trying to bargain his way out of it and realizing he can't
5: and having to mm. ultimately surrender to them.
0: Yeah. Nice. All right, Scott?
5: It's actually weird. I almost put the uh, Indiana Jones scene between the guy with the, the whip well, sorry, the sword, and then in the, and pulls the gun out. <laughs> yeah, That's kind of a standoff. I almost picked that one, but yeah, it's uh, I didn't a, go it's in a great end. standoff. Um, what I did actually go for, funnily enough, for my number four, and same as Sean, was the Reservoir Dogs. Right on. Right on. Great minds think alike. Glad to hear it. Quite, Quite right.
1: right.
0: I want in on this party. My number three is Reservoir Dogs. <laughs>
1: nice!
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no joke. My number cool. three.
5: Can Cam complete the set? Yeah.
1: No. <laughs> uh, Sean, you're up. Um, come on, man! Good to bad and the ugly.
0: I uh, that was actually one of my honorable mentions. Uh, if I had one, I didn't produce one, but I was going to throw that one there. Just,
1: just that's one of the, that's one. It. Yeah, that's one. That's one of the earliest ones committed to celluloid I can remember. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, I'm a sucker for Leone, and yeah, yeah, good to bad and the ugly had to make my list, so I put it in. Nice. All right, Cam.
4: My number three is Inglorious Bastards in the yeah. scene in the bar hall. Oh god, uh, the bar hall, yeah. yeah, where they've all got their guns trained on mm-hmm. each other after the you know the guessing game. That is an incredible scene, and just what an explosive payoff to that one.
0: It's the best scene in the movie.
4: I, I love. Yeah.
0: Sometimes I'll put that on just to watch that twenty minute scene. It's it's amazing. I love it.
4: Yeah, you're the the
1: first time viewings, man. I remember the theater, like I'm edging my seat, like where the fuck is he gonna take us? Because at that point. You know, we knew Tarantino was capable of anything, especially defying cinematic expectations. You know, that was that that that, that made my honorable mention.
0: Same. Um, as well as um I also threw since we're talking um honorable mentions, I put the Matrix Revolutions on there, that standoff in the uh Club Hell towards the opening. Mm. It's pretty badass. But yeah, that and Glorious Bastards and um, um shit, I'm drawing a blank. We're just talking about it. We're all my honorable mentions so uh, good to be Make the sure. ugly. yeah good to be bad and the ugly wow. so we're on Scott now number three I believe
5: that's right, right. indeed number f- was this number three or four this is number three now three. three number three Um, I had only because of reasons he buys because I watched it for the first time at the weekend big trouble in little China <laughs> <laughs> aka the Chinese stand. Jack Burton oh yeah interesting oh.
1: tidbit that 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 film began as a sequel to the adventures of buckaroo Banzai across the eighth
4: dimension you guys know that i i feel like i did at some point but i totally forgotten that yeah i feel the same uh, yeah, way. like yeah like it was I, I felt like i knew it, that yeah if you if you remember like
1: i have i i have a first print paperback of the novelization of buckaroo Banzai as well as a reprint with the legendary movie cover ed'll tell you i have You know, a classic laminated poster of Buckaroo Banzai in my living room. And we all remember, like, we got teased with, you know, up next Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League. And they keep mentioning this character of Hanoi Shan throughout the runtime of the film. But if you read the book, they delve a little bit deeper. And Hanoi Shan was like this Chinese crime lord who eventually became David Lo um, right. But, yeah, Earl Mac Roush, original, the, the original script for, for Big Trouble Little China was going to be the low-paying character who was essentially the only thing that survived. Uh, that was your Hanoi Shan who had been mentioned in Buckaroo Banzai. So. Yeah, man, big ups for bringing up Big Trouble Little China. Love me some Jack Burton.
0: Well, there you go. The more you know. <laughs> All right. My number two is this film, Enemy of the State, because nothing gets better than that Big ass standoff at the end in Pintero's bar, or not bar, but a restaurant in the back. Uh, it's just, it's a blast, literally, <laughs> quite literally a blast. And I'm looking yeah. forward to talking
1: about it. So, Sean, you're number two. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Ooh. Dig it. That, you know, and, and what come what runs a close uh, second is, um, Oh, Jesus Christ now that now that I want to bring it up the name is Casey what was that film with Ryan that was basically with with Ryan Philippine Benicio del Toro oh the way of the no, way of the gun the way of the gun way of the gun yeah so the way of the gun plays upon that whole third act of Butch and Sundance but yeah that that legendary standoff at the at the the, the rundown Mexican you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tavern bar hotel whatever yeah where and it just ends in that glorious freeze frame of Butch and Sunday it's just running mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. Like leave it open to viewers because we still got them alive and on their feet, but I think we all know how that fucking thing ends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. Um, shit, who's up? Cam?
4: Yeah, and for number two, uh I have we're speaking about him today, Tony Scott. I have true romance. And the finale of that movie, where it's basically every character yep. in the movie with their guns pointed at each other in a hotel room. I
0: fucking love it's it. It's
5: incredible. It is, incredible. It's
0: so good. So good.
5: it got. See, so I was gonna mess with my list because um, <laughs> one that's already been said is my next one. That's but okay. I, I will. Yeah. I, I. Well, my next one was Inglorious Bastards. Nice. Right. Which we've already mentioned, so okay. uh, I'm glad to add that to the list. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, it's that's why we again. do this. We great find, minds again. I I don't think I don't think Ed, Ed
1: check me if I'm wrong. Especially when we have guests on here, I don't think we've ever done. Uh, a top five one, especially when it's more than just me and you, where at least one, if not two, titles. Yeah,
0: it's pretty common in this category.
1: That 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 <laughs> okay. whether whether we you know whether we've known each other or not, somebody's always got a title in common on the top five list.
0: All right, well, stop me if you've heard this one before. My number one, True Romance, for reasons <laughs> that Cam just explained. That scene is the fucking best at the end of the, at the fucking hotel. Love it.
1: Um. Spoiler alert, I'm going to say Ditto. Okay. Wow. Yeah, my, it might have been my number one. Dude. I, I figured. Can't, can't, I
0: kind of it. figured it would be your number one.
1: You you, you knew that was coming in about number one, didn't
0: yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Cam? What's your number one since this wasn't it?
4: <laughs> so I wanted a Sergio Leone at number one, and I had basically two written down, and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was mentioned earlier. So I'm going to go with For a Few Dollars More which right. is the standoff between uh, Mortimer and Indio set to the music box at mm. the end of the movie. Yeah. So yeah. intense. And you're just sitting there like on the edge of your seat waiting for the music to end. Fantastic.
0: Awesome. Yo, and finally, Scott, you're number one.
5: Well, I was going to go with the Office episode Threat Level Midnight. Yeah. So they're all reading the script <laughs> out and, and pointing guns at each other because that technically counts, but it's not a film. It's not a film, so I can't do that. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten mentioned... It was one of the ones that sprung to my mind when you said standoffs, and it was Pulp Fiction. Yeah. what Tarantino mentions up in here, uh, but Pulp Fiction.
0: Yeah. that You could also argue Desperado is one that none of us mentioned also, uh, since we're talking yeah. about early to mid-90s classics. But yeah, I also, like... I mean, that whole...
1: The, the, I mean, pretty much that... Desperado is almost a 90-minute standoff, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. yeah. When, you get, when, and also, when you get down to
4: it. And also like John Woo's The Killer or Hard Boiled were also on my um didn't quite make the list but came darn close. Right.
2: Alright.
0: Well, let's take a little film effect. Let's start talking about this movie. <laughs> All right, so right off the bat, you mentioned earlier, uh, earlier Cam, that Jerry Brockheimer logo, and just like I said, what that means to me when you see that logo open up in your movie, you, you know you're in for an exciting. Not not so much nowadays because <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't have it doesn't hold the same weight that it used to. His production company, I think it kind of started to go downhill with the Pirates franchise, but that's just me talking. But you know, this is you know the '90s. Bruckheimer, you know you are in for a ride. So that's the first thing you are introduced to, and then we kind of go with that. We hear that familiar Harry Gregson Williams and Trevor Rabin score. Which, th- th- if you are listening to the music of this film, and you think it sounds eerily similar to The Rock. You are not wrong because same people that did the music for The Rock did the music for this. So we got the same music team uh, doing coming back for this another Bruckheimer film. Um, and we open up at Occoquan Park, Maryland. Now, I want to discuss this location real quick because it does not exist. Occoquan Park is um, a park outside of D.C., but it's in Virginia, like around uh, like the Alexandria area. I think it's Reston, Virginia is where it's located or in that area. Uh, but there's no such thing as an Occoquan Park, Maryland
1: yeah, I actually my first note had aqua, Aquacom uh, Park, Maryland question mark. Yeah, uh, but then after doing the research, yes, Lock Raven Reservoir, which runs right through, well, you know, Baltimore County, it's runs down, it's, it's it's connected by the river, basically. Yeah, well,
0: this is where I go every morning for my for my uh, my hike. I, I it's ten. It's literally not even ten minutes from my house that where this this scene was shot. It's um, it's where like you just said uh, Lock Raven Reservoir, and it's literally where I go to every morning and park and go and walk for about you know a half mile or so.
4: Do you ever cosplay as Jason Robards? <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, it's, it's funny, guys. Like,
1: Ed and I can literally, if guys ever come to Baltimore, we can give you the enemy of a state tour and still only burn half a tank of gas. I like that. I like that. From where we
0: live. So, we're treated to the death of Congressman Philip Hammersley. He's meeting with John Voigt's uh, Thomas Reynolds, who's the NSA department head, um, and they're discussing this new counterterrorism legislation that the U.S. Congress is pushing that, dramatically expands the surveillance powers of intelligence agencies over individuals and groups, a.k.a. the eye in the sky.
3: Do I have to itemize the number of American lives we've saved in the past 12 months alone with judicious use of surveillance intelligence? Thomas, cut the crap. I've got three major employers in the Syracuse area alone who are going to get just killed by this bill. I promise to get you funds equal to or greater than whatever those companies gave your last campaign. I'm not talking about campaign contributions, damn it! I'm talking about my constituents being out of work. Jesus, man, wake up! National security isn't the only thing going on in this country. This conversation is over. I beg of you, Phil, please don't. I've been there for you in the past, haven't I? There have been times, personal situations, when you needed my assistance and my confidence. Are you blackmailing me, you ambitious shit? I'm sorry. We can't find a common ground on this one, Congressman. You're a good man. People of your district are lucky to have you representing them.
0: And that's what this whole film is basically revolving around, is this bill that when the film ends, we don't even know if it's being passed or
1: not. Um that's <laughs> funny. Well, let's face it, we live we live you know we live in a time where not only that motherfucker passed, but it's become well known and we just grow to accept it in our lives. Right.
0: But as a as a you know yeah. as a cinephile, I want completion, goddammit. So Hammersley wants to know part of this due to its invasion of privacy and then he starts ridiculing uh John Voigt before heading back to his car. Where he's murdered by Barry Pepper, uh, by a needle, that yeah, just injection. He dies awfully quickly, by the way. Yeah, um, and it has the evidence. Yeah, stashed. I mean, just
1: go on. Let's let's get down to it. The, the the cast, especially the NSA flunkies, the cast here is fucking stacked. This cast is red
0: hot. You can't get any it hotter is. than this cast. And I was gonna say, no,
1: especially not 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 in the mid nineties, man. We've done like this cast is fucking
0: stacked. We've done episodes with ensemble casts. I think this rivals them all. I mean, pretty there much. are so many people in this movie that some of them went uncredited. Seth Green, he's one of them. He's like got a pretty big role in this film, actually, and he's nowhere to be found in the credits because he went uncredited for some reason or another. Um, and there's there's a couple of others I can't remember, but there's so many people. Like, and at the time you got to think about it they're so young, you know,
1: some of them went on yeah, to I have mean, bigger I, I careers than others. This, but you got to figure out when we're talking about like Seth Green's character or even some of the other, you know, techies working for the NSA, they were, all these actors were in their early to mid twenties. So it was a thing to not only be working on a Bruckheimer flick, but working for Tony Scott
5: and Absolutely. getting to have
1: their name in the credits with, you know, with the legendary Gene Hackman. You know, and, you know, the hot is the sun, Will Will Smith, so everybody's just signing on like, I'll deliver two lines of dialogue and get shot in the head. Who gives a shit, man? Well, that that's what it was. This is 1998,
0: Will Smith is the star. He is the reason people are signing up on that line. Um, it's not so much Gene Hackman. Yeah, that's a bonus, I want to say, but you got to remember, you got to kind of put yourself at this time spot and... 96, 97, 98, Will Smith was red hot. He was, I don't want to argue, I'd argue the hottest star in Hollywood these three years.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd also argue that's part of the Bruckheimer factory because look at the ensemble casts of The Rock and Con Air as well. Yeah. kind of became yeah. the idea True. that if you're going to make these big, you know, blockbuster action films, you just pack the cast.
0: Two words, bad boys. Speak of the yeah. devil, Will Smith.
4: Yeah. True. Also, uh, Armageddon was loaded as well. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. And there was so many people in that movie too. Um, mm. and some of them weren't known. I mean, like Steve Buscemi was still a that guy back then. Yeah. And like like Will Patton, I know now. Back then, I was like, ah, oh, he's Bruce Willis's buddy. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and April O'Neill was in that movie too.
1: Which with April, yeah,
0: yeah, and um, oh. Shawnee Smith is in and, that movie.
1: If you if you look if you look at the if you watch I so, I don't know whatever happened to it. I used to have a Criterion cut of Armageddon that had some deleted scenes yeah you had Lawrence Tierney in there yes Lawrence Tierney yeah. was Harry Stamper Jr. Yep. I mean senior yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it was edited it was, the scene was cut out but when the rest of the gang gets one day left on Earth to go party up they all go to strip clubs you know Bruce Willis goes to see his dad it's Lawrence Tierney yeah I used to have does that Did he too. say
4: something does he say something like son Go to work. It's yeah, pretty much.
1: He's just like he's just sitting in a chair the whole time. You know, but yeah, it's it's a, it's only one scene, maybe three, five minutes long, but it's it's Bruce Willis and Lawrence Tierney, his father and son. You know, he's like, you know what, I taught you, you know where to drill. Get on that asteroid and drill the fuck out of it.
0: <laughs> Some guys on another drill bit doing a job. <laughs>
1: You're not Mister Purple. Some other guy on some <laughs> other astronaut jobs, Mister Purple.
4: Come purple. on, Ramblers. Let's get rambling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, motherfucker looks like the thing.
0: <laughs> so, nothing like having murder committed for personal gain, right, guys? So, this plan, um, like I said, this bill that they're trying to pass it, it was a pretty big deal at the time, and it, it got it definitely got people talking about, you know. Being watched and heard by the government that still carries on to this day, but I want to say that this was kind of um, it was relevant. That's the word I was looking for. This was a relevant plot or idea for
1: at this time it would have been more like almost like a, a silent Cold War threat in the in the mind of the average you know American citizen. Where now here we are, twenty five years later, we've it, it, it's probably the worst kept secret. You know, in right. the government, that this shit is going on. Let's face it; half the shit we talk about on the show right now is going to show up. You know, there's going to be ads for similar shit on our on, on our social media news feeds
5: in an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, to make matters worse, it it could, well, there's four of us on this Zoom call right now, but let's be honest, there's probably five. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Everyone say hi. <laughs>
5: hi, Mi Five. I'm sure you're listening to me.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we get this. A adrenaline fuel title card and opening credits showcase in various locations of the film that are going to take place, uh, as well as footage like random various shots of violence and and being made. So this was Tony style, t- yeah, Tony Tony Scott's style, like this quick flashy jump, quick edits, you know, glitz. I, yeah, so that was I thing. actually,
1: actually, I I actually came up with a slogan, almost like it be you know. Uh, like like, uh, like a thrift store. It's called Tony Scott's frenetic shots. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's funny because I remember at the time Tony Scott was so widely just derided by critics as kind of this you know trash can cinema filmmaker. Yeah, and now right, I look try- at like I look at Tony Scott movies and I'm like, God, movies don't look this good anymore. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I <laughs> no, agree. I mean, it's like he was obviously he was always
1: trying to kind of escape his brother's shadow. You know and i think one of my all-time favorite stories is when he you know was you get you guys know the original man on fire story which one okay so when tony scott was when they, when they made the original man on fire with scott back Glenn in 87 as creasy yeah 87 um scott threw his name in a He wanted to make this movie, and they're like, you know, your brother's somebody, you're fucking nobody. Forget about it. We want a big action movie out of this. Mm. So he kind of took that as like a burn, and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to show these studio heads what I can do. And then, you know, he kind of held on to that for almost 20 years and then came back and made the man on fire that everybody talks about to this day. If you mention Scott Glenn as Creasy, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? It was Denzel Washington. That was Tony Scott going, fuck you, I can't make Man on Fire. Look at what I did with Man on Fire.
0: A lot of people I don't love that story. A lot of people don't realize that's a remake.
4: No, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it kinda and, and the and and that film itself, I don't know, uh, Cam, Scott, I don't know if you guys are, you know, are, are gamers like I am, but a lot of what Tony Scott did with Man on Fire made its way into the third uh Max Payne game. Like, if you play Max Payne 3, it is almost Man on Fire, the video game, to right, right to the point where, like, there's, like, lines of dialogue and stuff just, like, burning through the screen, like, running by, just like they do in that movie. So it got kind of got remade three times. You have the Scott Glenn pick, the legendary Tony Scott flick, and then Max Payne 3 is pretty much... You know, the first half of that game is Man on Fire, the video game, right with the dialogue burns running across the screen. Pretty neat shit. Creasy's artist's is death.
0: And he's about to paint his masterpiece. Hey, he's about to make
1: his masterpiece. <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, the, the, quick flash, quick cuts. That was Tony Scott's way. Um and it was also kind of like how all 90s Bruckheimer films were shot and edited in this way like it was all they all have a common editor and chris LeBenzin, who edited yeah and
1: your average shot length is no more than maybe 3 to 5 seconds before it's edited to something
0: i actually have the eggs yeah, the, the precise times and it's actually quicker than that my friend we'll get to that later on <laughs> That's but right. all these films like con air this armageddon and all they were all they all had a common editor I didn't even know that until I was doing my research for this episode. And that's kind of why they all had this like look, you know. Even, even down to like the like the framework and everything. It's just they all yeah. look alike. So and that's why. So we are taken to Silverberg and Blake, attorneys at law. Uh, and one thing this film does is every time it gives us a location, it also, for some reason, wants to tell us the time in military. <laughs> so this is um 1130 hours. Will Smith's a labor lawyer named Robert Clayton Dean. And we see when he's introduced, he's involved in a case with uh, against this mafia kingpin, Paulie Pintero. And there's this guy he's seeing who got tuned up by his men and I want to call attention to the heavyset Italian, who's played by character actor John uh, Capus, uh,
1: John Capadich.
0: Thank you, John Capodice. Yes, I don't know why that was so hard to and come who's, out.
1: And, and who's, who's playing the client?
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, was it Lilo Broncato from The Sopranos? Lila Broncato. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Everybody remembers him from a Bronx tale and The Sopranos. Sopranos and mm-hmm. and his notorious drug fueled home invasion. That got him locked up for the better part of a decade. So
0: was it Capadice, you said? Capadice. Capadice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember him personally from Austin uh, not Austin Powers, uh Ace Ventura. He was uh Guado, I think that was his name. It was a weird name. Um, one of the cops that worked with uh Ace, him and Tone Loke. And then he was uh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he was in Speed. He was uh the guy that Keanu Reeves sees at the door uh, for coffee in the morning before he gets back into yep. the bus and it blows up. And he was a bunch. Of, he's in a bunch of other movies, but he's just that guy.
1: Um, especially during this time, I was like, "Hey, I know that guy." So and another, another, another that guy in the scene is going to be our good buddy James McAvoy.
0: He's right there. You can't tell it's yeah. him because he's got this like beard that James McAvoy doesn't really.
1: You're not. I'm not used to seeing him with a beard like that. Um, quick uh quick, quick quick trivia tidbit, Ed. Uh what other film before this did LeGros and Will Smith appear in? Oh, what was that movie? Um
0: hang on, because Will Smith was uh handicapping that movie, I want to say. What the fuck yes. was it called? Yes, yes, yes. Hang on, it's gonna come to me. Don't
1: so, go cheat I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Because man, it's actually uh, I, 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 it's it's one that I'm going to be showing to Mandy very very soon. I was it's not to my list. Six degrees of separation. No, is it? no, 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 no. It's no, like a no, long no. time. It was t- around that time. It was before Smith grew up. I mean, blew up. Smith was. He's got a
0: something uh, about a uh, not a something about a day. It's a long title. Yeah, it, it was his first
1: yeah, movie. Where the day, where the day takes. Okay, you. that yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Lagro, uh, you got Ricky Lake in there. You got Will Smith in there. Um, Head of I, uh, Christ, who played uh, Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney's okay. your main character, Prince. Good film about just like a bunch of street hustlers living, you know, living living on the streets, of LA. In the,
0: From the, in the early nineties. Are you sure Jack Noseworthy's <laughs>
1: not in it? I think Noseworthy does appear. Yeah. Um, and it's it just hit one of the streaming services within the last couple of days because I added it to the last one. Mandy told me she hadn't seen it. So Cam Scott, if you guys haven't seen it, look look for uh, where the day takes you. Nice little nice little early nineties, um, you know, drama. And I know it's on like Prime or HBO Max or something. It just loaded up in the last week
4: or two. Cool. I'll well, the- actually check that out.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll dig it. I mean, nothing. Nothing right home about it. Something I've seen probably three or four times. Good quality storytelling in that. Interesting. Hmm. It's mainly character piece. All these, you know, street homeless kids, you know, living underneath a, you know, a boulevard, you know, or, or a overpass. And
0: kind of like a pretty cool. requiem for a dream esque movie. With
1: yeah, but nowhere near right. as dark. And yeah, I know. <laughs> fucking dumb. So,
0: all right. so Robert meets with his ex-girlfriend, whom he may or may not have been having a recent affair with, Rachel Banks, played by Lisa Benet, who, oddly enough, was just announced, uh, she just announced her separation from Jason Momoa. How does that even happen, first of all? How the hell do you get divorced from a fucking guy like, I mean, you know, Jason Momoa is like, Come on, guys. I I can't be alone in this boat. He's a guy you look at and you just say, like, it doesn't matter, you know, like, where you are, like, sexually, you know, what your sexuality is. You just look at that guy you're just like, fucking A. Like, that guy's got it. Like...
5: Well I I, don't, I mean I, I don't mean to break the story here but um the reason they broke up is actually uh, I'm seeing Jason now. Ah
0: so. you bastard I'm jealous yeah. I really am.
1: <laughs> see when it, just, that
5: that got announced
1: Mandy's like woohoo Jason Momoa's back on the market I'm like fuck you Lisa Bonet's back on the market that's what I'm talking
5: about. <laughs> I I'll stick to Jason though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, she works for this uh individual named Brill whom Dean occasionally hires for undercover surveillance. Uh she talks about how, you know, this the this tape that is gonna incriminate Pintero costs ten grand. Uh well, he's bringing it up. Uh, meeting bro he brings up meeting bro and she's like yeah it's
1: like they have like a little meeting, it's like a little handoff right because she's the middle man. envelope she's the middle man and he yeah, wants he to is.
0: actually meet him and she's like that's never going to happen so stop asking right so
1: my cuts my cuts 15 percent. so he slides her envelope full of cash she gives him a vhs and and, and your manila envelope yeah you know typical on-screen espionage handoff
0: And then we're taken to Pintero Social Club, and it's 1,426 hours. Robert showing Pintero the tape. Everyone smile. What's he say? Can everyone say not guilty? Everyone smile and say not guilty.
2: So, Mr. Pintero, the guy on the left is Carl Matthews, president of Local 6650. And this is Dave Early, secretary treasurer of The National. Oh, right there. You see You see the guy there? Uh, that's Hugh Simic. He administers the pension fund. Hey, you're going to recognize this fella right here. Boop. That's you. Am I correct, Mr. Patero? That ain't me. <laughs> Let's watch a little more. Let's take a picture of this. Everybody say money! Oh, here comes a great shot right here. Everybody say not guilty! Right here. Here it comes. That's not you. That ain't me. <laughs> well, you know, that that's actually really great news for me. It lifts a huge weight off of my shoulders. Because, you know, the conditions of your parole specifically forbid you from having any contact of any kind with any union officials. I know that. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm saying so, hypothetically, had that been you, I mean, you'd be headed back to prison for... 15, I don't know, maybe 20 years, even more. But, you know, I mean... That ain't you as you so eloquently put it. Are you fucking with me? Eloquently? That's not me. Oh, that's not you. Well, I'm sorry that I've wasted your time, gentlemen, you know, since that's not you.
0: And who's Patero? Let's have this Thomas. Let's have the Tom Sizemore conversation now. There we go. Cuz this was like I mean, he looks
1: rough in this movie. Not going to lie. Well, I was I was about to say it's a Jerry Bruckheimer production. Okay. Sizemore's on set. There's some cocaine being thrown around somewhere in between cut and act. You can literally ghost- see him
0: sweating the cocaine through the film. You
1: can. You can see him sweating out the, the fucking E and J and the cocaine from, like, he was just coked up at his trailer 10 minutes ago. And they're like, oh, Mr. Scott needs you on set. Because he also... The
4: ghost of... The ghost of Don Simpson was uh, hanging out yeah. with uh, <laughs> him. But, I mean, like, that may be the case. And this is the year Tom Sizemore did Saving Private Ryan as well. So, 98 was a good year for him. But, like, if that was the case, it works. Because everything he does in this movie is electric to watch. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um,
0: it, Yeah, because, goddamn, he's just... He looks rough. I mean, it, at th- this days. time,
1: he was... He was stigmatized in the industry. You know, he was an insurance risk for production. But, you know, he still found his way. Because you like to think, like, Tom Sosmore always playing this kind of like, you know, fast-talking dude on camera. And then you find out how he parties in real life. So, you know, the guy's a fast-talker anyway. So, he's probably fast-talking his agent, the production executives and stuff. Like, no, 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 I'm going to stay clean. I'm cool. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Meanwhile, somebody is leaving some shit under his pillow in his trailer. You know, a couple of grams of Bolivian marching powder sitting there waiting for him after they called. Because
0: he was coming off of 97. He had his first starring role in The Relic. Um, he was like the, the head cop uh, opposite Penelope Ann Miller. Um, yeah. And then 98, like Cam said, this was his year because he had this. He had Safe and Private Ryan, and he was also John Gotti in the TV film Witness to the Mob, and then
1: yeah, but you could, but you watch him like over the course of just those couple of well, years. Let me get at that. I was getting at that after. Put on, put on this is weight.
0: where the downfall begins because the following year he does breaking out, bringing out the dead, play it to the boom. and then 2000 get Carter and Red Planet. 2001 kind of kind of resurgence here. He has Pearl Harbor and Black Black Hawk Down. And then he does Big Trouble in 2002, a movie that I still to this day defend. And then it was just downhill from... Oh, he was in Dreamcatcher in 2003. And then it was downhill because in 2004, I think he was the head villain in that movie Paparazzi. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he was. Any
0: any fans of that film? Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser, that's right.
1: That's the only reason I fancy that film.
0: After that movie, just direct the video shit just to get him, you know, just so he can score his next fix.
2: That's exactly what it
0: was. <laughs> I mean I'm going I'm scrolling through his filmography right now after two thousand three and it, it just it's never ending. There's so many movies. I'm looking at like thirty titles in two thousand sixteen alone, and I'm not even joking. Like he is just yeah. putting anything he can find out. And it's sad, gotta feed, because I love Tom Size more. You gotta feed the monkey. I love Tom Sizemore, more though. God damn it. Yeah.
1: You just got you gotta feed the monkey, man. man.
0: So all right. So, Pintero here, and he, he uh, Will Smith reminds Pintero how his parole prohibits him from being around people on the tape. And Big Willie, showing a lot of balls in defense of his clients here, gets it right back at him when Pintero orders him to sit the hell down after he mentions making copies of the tape. Like Thank y'all, the good old days of VHS, we could just make copies. And he lays out the terms for his clients and promises to make the tape disappear. He won't reveal who made it, so Pintero gives him a week to tell him who made the tape or else he'll kill him. And then is when he goes outside and sees that there's FBI surveillance
1: uh, watching. Well, he does, he doesn't... Uh, uh, the, the character Robert Dean doesn't see it, but the audience knows now that there's surveillance. No, the guy, the guy clearly know, says,
0: look, look at our friends. Everyone He smiles oh, yeah, and right. wave to that's the right. FBI. Right. And he flips
1: them yeah, off. He like, gives him a finger. Yeah. And 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 a lot of a lot of Pantero's flunkies are your are your Italian American. They, they they're typically always playing. They're the know, same mafia people heavies.
0: you see you recycled. Just keep
1: recycling yes. them throughout Scorsese flicks and episodes of The Sopranos. These guys, and other Bruckheimer films. Gotten, they yeah, they've gotten legitimate work by basically just playing mafia heavies for the last ten to twelve years. Okay. Everyone, I'm like, oh, I've seen him in that. I've seen him in that. I've seen. So
0: we go to the congressman's murder back at the Lock Raven, and we are introduced to Anne Hart from Harry Potter, disguised as park ranger, and he, he watches Jason Lee across the reservoir switch out a tape from
1: the uh, the the duck camera that that's very. It's like a walking. box, it's almost a box. like a duck blind, but it's it's basically a lock box that that he that he you know. But keeps. he records the ducks. and it's a Betamax. Yeah, he keeps he records on Betamax. Which I noticed he uses a Betamax tape in that because those at the time would have been like capable of like stop, you know, where they said it's like a motion cap, a motion activated mm-hmm. camera and shit. Yeah. That he keeps in there. And that's when they realized that there were there was eyes on the scene.
0: Yeah. Because uh, we see Hart calling the plates as he drives off with the tape. And then this we got our first glimpse of NSA headquarters with uh, as Reynolds. That's uh, John Boyd, his goon, Agent Hicks, who's Lauren Dean, rushes to tell Reynolds of the situation, and he sends men after him and disguises it as a training op. So he's just going to use government time and money to just send these guys to just cover up their their fuck up, essentially, and they're going to cover it up, they're just going to label this as a... To as they call it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a training op, but he, he you know, the 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 two field heavies he gets or I'm assuming, are like pretty much supposed to be like your, you know, your marines or green beret. You got it's what Jake Busing and Scott Con.
4: Yeah, you see a lot of in. um, a lot of and spiky let's, let's blonde
1: hair something. in this. A lot of and spiky blonde hair in this movie. Right, yes. right, and that's how they, they keep telling them, like Oh, I could tell by the haircut. And let's face it, if the film would have been made in the 70s, these two guys would have been played by James Kahn and Gary Busey. Probably. <laughs> probably. So
0: <laughs> and we're also we also see Jack Black, because he's also in this movie. Um uh-huh. and then we cut to Jason Lee, uh, who's back at his place watching the tape of what actually happened as a news report, WJZ, local station, reporting the death of yep. it as a heart attack. And yep. so he calls Grant Heslov's character. His, like, his I was
1: I, thank you. I was wondering if you were going to pick that up, Lenny. Oh, that's Grant Heslov. Everybody know who, yeah. Everybody know who Grant Heslov is, right? Oh, oh yeah, I, Grant I, Heslov. I
4: know, well, we covered he him. Um, yeah, he's a um, George Clooney's producing partner. Yeah, and uh, we talked about when we covered True Lives back in yes. the day. Was, yes, um, there
1: you go. There you go. Speaking of the whole, you know, Clooney Heslov partnership, um, I I I watched the Tender Bar. The other day uh, on Prime, not a bad flick if you guys get the opportunity. Yeah, but I'm gonna check it out. I, I haven't watched it yet, yeah, but I, I do plan on watching it. It's it's good. It's, it's nothing you haven't seen before. A little coming of age, heartwarming stuff. Right. But you know, it, it's well done. It, it kind of reminded me of um, um, Dito Montiel's uh, uh, "Guide to Recognizing Your Saints" mm-hmm. with uh, with with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you guys haven't had a chance, check out Tender Ball on Prime.
4: Yeah, I'm going to watch it at maybe on my days off this week. It's I, I find Clooney as a director, it's like he made Good Night and Good Luck and the rest. Actually, you know what? Confession, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is good, but like post those two early movies, eh, <laughs> right. you know, Midnight Sky you, was you okay. now, If
1: you didn't – and, 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 and uh, Cam, I'll tell you, like you really don't feel like Clooney's hand on this. I mean, yes, no. he, he – it's not like – you like you can kind of see like some flourishes that he tends to – put into his films and I agree with you. Like good night and good luck. My favorite is Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um but with this one, it's it's great that he directed it, but it's nothing that really says, hey George Clooney made this movie. So yeah. yeah give it, you know, give it a run. It's a nice little, you know, slice of life story. Be...
4: Yeah, with Golden Globe nominee Ben Affleck.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, Affleck's definitely cool it was Uncle Charlie. It's, you know, a little period piece because it goes from like I want to say, like, 76 to about 87, 88. So it's kind of neat seeing that. And then uh, Max Casella shows up. I love seeing a doughy, greasy Max Casella with the handlebar mustache. Yeah. (laughs) He's in there for a little bit. You know, so you guys should get a kick out of Tender Bar. Give it a shot. So yeah, uh, Grant Haslov. I personally
0: remember him as uh, the older sister's boyfriend from License to Drive in the 80s. And then yeah. he was True, True Lies, Congo, and then he was Farley's best friend in Black Sheep. Um, those were definitely the films that I was like, I know that guy. And then I forget that he was in the birdcage as well. Um, but yeah, he had a little, you know, nothing, he never had like a standout role or nothing huge. He was always a supporting he's, character it, or a, that let's face guy. It, he's,
1: he's done more behind the camera than he has. And I was going to
0: say, he's producer, you know, a writer. Um, has he directed a, has he directed a film? Yeah. Yeah. He I'm directed sure. one. The men, yes, yes, scared,
4: the men who stare The men goats. who stare at goats.
1: Yeah. That was
0: directed by. Ryan oh, Haslov. he
1: directed that. That's right. He did. Dude. I love that movie. I've never seen <laughs> it. No, I love it. it. It'll feel like it feels like a Coen Brothers flick, but it's fun. All right, well, it's yeah, you dude, you've got to check out menu stereo codes. That movie is funny,
0: <laughs> judging by cams. <Kim's>, eh, <laughs>
1: I might wait.
0: <laughs>
1: no, 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 it's it's dude, for real. It's it's I'm not I'll saying it. it's an award I'm not gonna winner jump
0: nothing, into it, you know, after we stop recording. Cool. I'm not gonna be like, I gotta go watch it now, but you know, I, I'm uh, gonna. You got to
1: Clooney it. in there, you got Ewan McGregor. Jeff Bridges is like some fucking weird nouveau hippie army sergeant. Yeah, but Jeff Bridges was also an RIPD. He no longer holds. It's, dude, it's not that bad, I'm telling you. No. Men, <laughs> men Who Stare at Goats, I've probably watched it four or five times. I'm not mad. Uh, like I'll I say said,
4: this if, much. It, it's not if, generic. Like, it's it, not bland and forgettable. Like, the, it, no. it is kind of quirky and weird. It's It's got
1: moments where you feel like somebody's the, you, you feel like somebody's trying to do a Coen Brothers film. Yeah.
0: So while he's talking to Grant Haslaw's character, we see that Jack Black is listening on the other end, uh, telling his buddies that he's making a tape right now. So we see. And then we cut to uh, Robert, who's Christmas shopping at a lingerie store, acting awkward like all men feel this way, like when shopping for their significant others. And you know the whole thing with the model, and she's asking you know about you know, her wife's cup size, and he's like, "Oh, she's way bigger than that." It
1: makes her- well. I mean, let's face it every every every, every employee in this lingerie stores is, is like a wearing smoking nothing. hot nine and a half walking around All scantily clad. You know, they're wearing lingerie like you. You don't walk into Victoria's Secret and you know your cashier is wearing a bustier. <laughs> you
0: know we well, I mean? we we bring him here to establish like the, the setup for what's next because we got right. Jason Lee right. in his room and. They have tracked him down, so they're you know they get his neighbor to knock on the door, and he's got this. I'm assuming like this back door that he can like. I, I've as many times as I've seen this movie, I've never really understood the like the logistics behind this. I guess he has this. Yeah, it's door. like he's got
1: a front entrance, a kitchen door. and Because the, and the angle then there's also- when he looks
0: out of it, she's like down. I don't know. It's just it's always been weird. But he, anyway, we call this. He sees that his neighbors, you know, using every excuse in the book like she's some sort of like like she's desperate to get in there and when he looks out she wants to use his phone well she's also saying can I use the bathroom can I score some brown sugar every excuse in the world she's pulling out of her ass she's doing it and when he looks out she's looking behind at you know people down the steps like she's trying to get the attention like he's not coming not coming to the door and then he sees that, you know, the jig is up. It's time to go. And basically the chase sets off. They get in. He makes. He's waiting for the tape to get made to finish making a copy. And he grabs it. And they take off. And this big-ass chase through fucking Baltimore. He makes a copy, first of all. I forgot to mention this. And he puts it inside of the NEC Turbo, Ex- Turbo Express, which was... Uh, you had your Sega Genesis, your Nintendos, and then there was a system called TurboGrafx-16. This was the yep. handheld version of the TurboGrafx-16 that he puts this tape yep. inside of.
1: And it's, it's more like a big-ass memory card.
0: It looks what it looks like. Yeah, it's exactly, yeah. exactly what it looks like. It looks like a it, big-ass memory it card. It looks like a Game Gear. Remember uh, the Sega Game Gear? Yeah. It, yeah, it does. Like it's just like we're...
1: Yeah.
0: But this is Jason Lee. Jason Lee's in this movie, too. If... I forgot to mention that before, because why the fuck not?
1: Um and Yeah, I thought I thought I smelled a copy of Dianetics on this.
0: <laughs> Barry Pepper Ooh.
1: and Jake Fusey are the ones who are at the door. They give Chase
5: It's Chase and Lee a Scientologist. Yes. That's
1: why that's that's why I just said I smelled a copy of Dianetics.
5: I did not know that. Yeah, oh Ed. God. You didn't pick up <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. More, Ed more rats knows is a-, a completely different film now. Yeah, Ed, right.
1: Ed knows I got a huge hard on against Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard. So any chance I get, I throw a jab at him. But yeah, yeah, chances are he's carrying a copy of one of L. Ron's books in his back pocket.
5: So oh, a, a, I just got a notification. L. Ron Hubbard wants to join the... the- <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Interesting. That's funny.
1: <laughs>
0: so this chase, you know, it's your typical Tony Scott venture. Flash, quick cuts... Seth Green and his yellow tinted glasses directing everyone by the way and it's a Tony Scott film thick and thin so expect quick flashy uh, quick flashy cuts and tons of Dutch angles I haven't brought that up yet this fucking movie is filled to the brim with Dutch angles
1: I mean it's not as bad as Battlefield Earth don't get me wrong speaking of Dianetics and Scientology
0: speaking of Barry Pepper (laughs) right um and then, yeah, he gets on this bike and he tries to outrun them going down through this tunnel and then, like, he hops over this medium and gets creamed. He gets squashed by this fucking fire truck. Fire
1: truck. Yeah, he gets splattered,
0: man. Well, Smith's out there and he's like, what happened? And this woman just goes, a guy on a bike got creamed. And I forgot to mention, <laughs> before this happens, so, the setup.
2: Savage Daniel Savage. Hey, no, oh, it's, it's me, Bobby Dean. We were at Georgetown together. You okay? Help me. What do you Are think you of right?
0: this one, sir? Yeah, this is
2: Becky. Becky, say hi. I'm sorry. Can I have one second, please? Oh, he's wearing
0: a cover paint! He's wearing a cover on Connecticut! Brad, right, he's on your six o'clock! Burn around! Got him! Move, move. Get out of the way. <laughs> Target northbound. Northbound on Connecticut. Okay, got him. Go 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 go! Switching target. Switching
3: now. Heading southbound oh. towards South oh, Haun, down. Sir.
0: down on Connecticut Avenue Air one confirmed target is down target is down permanently He goes into the lingerie store trying to escape these guys and what are the odds he runs into Will Smith, his old college buddy and he slips he's like you, you gotta help me you know he, he's kind of just being vague and frantic and we see him slip the game system into his you know Victoria's Secret bag or whatever it is, and takes off, and that's when he grabs the bike and gets splattered.
1: Right, it's it's, but but it's also when he's like, hey, you remember uh, Bob Dean? We went to we, we were college together, and he hands him his business card. Yes, so that was that was the tip off for the you know for the heavies is that he's got uh, Jason Lee's character's got Dean's business card in his pocket when they're down there
0: investing because the you can hit by this truck and like it, it draws a crowd, obviously, and then we see all these guys that were chasing him just, like, go around this body and start, like, pick, get his wallet, you know, everything that's fucking in his pockets, and just start taking it, and they run off. Um, so, Robert returns home, and we're introduced to his son, Eric, and Eric's best friend, Dylan, and his wife, Carla, who's watching Stuart Wilson on Larry King. Uh, Regina King is his wife, and I like her in this movie. Uh, this was still when she was trying to break out because she was coming off of Jerry Maguire I believe I was going to say she's she's still trying to shake off the whole Jerry Boys Maguire in the Hood and Friday were other mm-hmm. films that mm-hmm. where she was you know establishing herself and I think by this point Regina King was a was a name uh, not like she is today I mean Christ she's a Golden Globe winner did she win the Academy Award this year or last year or was it
4: no she, oh, she did win for If Beale Street Could Talk as a supporting okay. actress
0: so yeah there you go
4: yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, um,
1: I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys watched that, um, that HBO version of the Watchmen, but she was, you know, uh-huh. front and center for she that. She was ball. great. She was, she was great. She was great in, she was yeah, great yeah. in the, what? yeah, she was great in, in watching. I'm a big Watchmen fan. And I was like, how the fuck are you going to make a show that's not about the comic, but kind of the comic, but spun off of the comic, set in the world of the comic. And I'll be damned 10 episodes later. I'm like, all right, I believe it. I buy it. I dig it. Yeah, I was
0: really surprised at how much I enjoyed that Watchmen uh, limited series. Yeah,
1: yeah, especially coming off of, you know, fandom from the graphic novel and that extended Snyder cut, which I'm not mad at. People shit on, but I think that four-hour cut of, you know, Snyder's Watchmen is pretty much the graphic well, with, novel.
0: With, with Tales of the, the, what's it, the freight, Black, Black Freighter.
1: Freighter. Right, where that, that's, that's all incorporated just like it is in a graphic novel, you know.
0: What bugs me is I have it on 4K, and the only way you can watch the full 4K copy of Watchmen is by watching that fucking four-hour cut. That's the only cut. So what?
2: Do it, man. eh, Yeah, that's the only cut I own. One of
0: these days. So it's the only cut I own. All right. So Big Willie's home. Virginia King, the family. (laughs) Um, So. I always laugh when she asks what, because you know, he tells her that she was out, he was out shopping for Christmas, and she's like, "What'd you get me?" Without missing a beat, he goes, "A bowling ball, <laughs> bowling ball." Gets me every time.
2: Hmm. <laughs> what'd you get me? A bowling ball. No more than MSNBC terrorist talk. You're scaring the
0: kids. So the NSA confirms the deaths of both Lee's character, and they also I mentioned they they got to uh, the friend Grant Haslov. They killed him off screen. And then they look into Robert Dean since they found this business card on the body of um, Daniel uh, Cavett, Zav- Zavitz. It's a weird, Zavitz, Zavitz, it's a weird, yeah, last, name. He's got a weird, weird last name. Zavitz. Zavitz. Um, I always want to say Kravitz. So right, they cross search and find that Robert's been meeting with Rachel Banks. That involve and then something else, one thing or another that involves large cash deposits.
1: Yeah, they, they, they look at, like, phone, they're like, Jack Black just takes his disc, puts it in, and all of a sudden he's got all this information <laughs> yeah. on him when he graduated, how they went to school together. They share the same address, sophomore year in college, and that boom, they, you know, there there's there's records of withdrawals and deposits between the two of them. It's exactly 15% right. of whatever Dean took out, she deposits the next day. Mm-hmm. So they're putting the pieces together, like – the, technically, this bill that they're fighting to pass doesn't even need to pass. They're already fucking doing it already. Uh, true. You know, it's obvious. what They're just trying well, to make what they're they doing. want to do it legally.
0: Legal. Right. That's the thing.
1: Legally. Right. So,
0: then they check the surveillance footage at the lingerie joint. Who wants to begin this conversation?
1: All right. This is where I wrote down. I love the tech look and the way it plays on screen, but it is Fucking impossible, especially with a store surveillance camera in 1996 to pull some Matrix bullet time. All right, zoom oh, in. It's spin around in
2: 2021.
1: It does. It doesn't work that way. It looks fucking great when you see it on CSI. You know, to your average oh. meme on people, they believe that's how the shit really works. Yes, it visually it's appealing, but logically logistically, it is fucking so hard.
0: scott i wanna I wanna call attention to you right now. This is your first time watching this movie. What was your uh reaction to seeing what they did uh with this footage?
5: well, I mean, despite it being my first time watching this film, it's not my first foray into spy movie, so w- me and Cam are well versed on the old, uh, old right, right, and right. Hans. Um, I, I was just wondering to myself if this is one of the first times it's used so like incorrectly. Uh, like they've inflated the technology to the point where it it, it doesn't exist. Whereas like, now
1: and, and it's straight it's like perfect voice controls like zoom enhance. And it just zooms yeah. and enhances. It's like they're
5: talking to the Starship Enterprise.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like they're and
5: even the Starship Enterprise
1: couldn't enhance
0: like what? They're gonna fucking add pixels to make it, you know... Cl- 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 well, they do.
5: they like, oh, just... They, they said, oh, yeah, we can pretend. And then they, like, extrapolate, don't they? And it's th- th- That's that's so far beyond what could happen that it becomes a joke. It's insulting. Uh, but I think this, that's what... It is a bit insulting. It's one of the first times in this film, although it isn't the only time, where uh, it, it loses some credibility, shall we say.
1: I yeah, mean- but if you but if use enough techie sound and buzzwords, your average viewer is going to believe that shit can happen.
4: But this is that era where the internet and computers are terrifying. So you're this is not too long after the net and right. hackers and movies right. like that, and right. um, you know that continues on a couple years later into like Swordfish. So it's like they don't really understand how these things work. Just that it's very complicated and can you know do things that we can't possibly imagine. So I think that's kind of the idea they're trying to sell that there's people. You know, secretly doing these things behind the scenes, but it's, yeah, really ridiculous in uh, 2022 to be watching this.
1: Yeah, that's. Yeah, these. That's, that's Those people that believe it are still the same that are waiting for Skynet to become self aware.
5: Exactly. I'm just hoping it will.
4: Yeah. Can't be any worse, really. <laughs> right, Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. Uh,
0: I guess I say earlier, I love this movie. I don't love everything about this movie. And this is
1: definitely one yeah. that I'm always like. This is just some eye roll on shit right here. It's definitely, it's definitely got some mid nineties tropes, oh, yeah. and this is definitely oh, yeah. one of them.
0: So Barry Pepper and Ian Hart visit Robert at his house. They're looking for the tape that was dropped into his bag. So they're asking the search for his. Um, they, they come in, they, they 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 change the topic right away. Like I mean, as soon as they let him in, they're like, "Oh, we're we're here for, to, to actually talk about this," and they want They asked to searches his recent purchases because, you know, obvious reasons. When Dean refuses, they incorrectly conclude that he and Zavitz are in collusion together and get kicked out when Hart mentions Rachel Banks' name. So Reynolds thinks that Robert is definitely in on this and basically swears him off before ordering everyone to find out everything there is to know about him. And he sends men to his house where they break in, they bug the entire place, they fucking. They, they vandalize it like to make it look like it was kids. They even spray paint the dog green. They do all sorts of shit to their, to their place. And Jake Busey steals the blender. Um, I love it. And a lot of stuff that they're doing to him. Uh, put him through a bunch of shit. Then we see Robert kayaking with another attorney. This is James LeGrow from earlier. While they're out doing that. His personal belongings in his locker. They
1: they break into that and they're you know planting shit. Then you, yeah, they've got they they've got exact duplicates of his watch and his Mont Blanc pen. But so that they've able to plant bugs when them all over the place. Even after the home invasion, they leave him with one suit and that suit they place trackers and shit in. So they're forcing him into you know everything they need to be able to keep an eye on him.
0: So the shoes. Did they swap the shoes completely, or did they just put a tracker in his shoes? No, no, no. You, if, you
1: see them, put. They put the tracker in the shoes, and then and then leave just so, that pair. Of so shoes I'm led to
0: believe is. that all dress shoes like that have soles that you can pop open and have a little slot perfectly fits a tracker bug. Because when he pops it up, it's got like it's got the circle spot. It like fits perfectly inside that sole, like it was molded to your <laughs> Tracker from the NSA. Like, that shit was perfect.
1: Yeah, hey, man, movie. You know, we always movie's say, a movie he's got a movie. I know,
0: I know, I know. So, both Robert, and Rachel's personal lives are exposed now at this point
1: of the film. They elite false evidence. Yeah, and, and, and this is where I started writing this down, and then I stopped and realized where we're at in today's society. Almost scratched it out, but I'm like, What NSA training exercise actively ruins fucking
2: lives?
1: (laughs) And these poor fucking 20-year-old snot-nosed techie nerds are just, we're here for a training exercise, and they're watching this (laughs) guy. This guy makes arguably five, six figures a year. They're watching his entire life crumble over the course of a fucking Christmas weekend. (laughs) And that's just a typical training out. We're just going to go ruin somebody who lives in Bethesda. They...
2: they they yeah. leak false evidence. That's your, that's your they guy. leak false evidence
0: <laughs> implicating that Dean's working for the mafia. They law they're they're laundering money, and they're having an affair with he's having an affair with Rachel. Everything that they leak out, then the they they just destroy his life. He's fired by Philip Baker Hall at his uh, law firm, and his wife Carla throws him out of the house. And then to make matters worse, he gets thrown out of his house. And then when he goes to check into a fucking hotel, he can't even do that because all of his shit's canceled or or uh, got a hold on it. So yeah, they just dug
1: in. They just like they attacked every it, facet. Of he's
0: left to just go to the the paying cash the the low end motel for the night. And, um, the scene with him trying to explain himself to his wife before he's thrown out. I actually wrote a note here, and that's why I'm bringing it back up again. I think it's Will Smith's... I, I think he's incredible in this scene. Like, it stands out, always has. Um, he's still a young, up-and-coming actor at this time, and, like, he's just rocking this shit. And, like, he's convincing, and it's it's just a change of pace, you know. It's it, Will Smith, he's coming off of roles, like, they're all alien-centric, you know, Welcome to Earth, And fucking, uh, oh, that was called Independence Day. And then uh, Men in Black. And, you know, big Hollywood, big budget, you know, launch pad films. And then he comes and does this movie. It's like a bit more grounded compared to the other films. It's more grounded. And it's for a big, you know,
1: acclaimed director, Tony Scott, someone that has a big name. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the first time he's playing a role right. that's not expected to bring laughs. It's now, like everything he's done up until then has been the Fresh Prince in space, you know, the Fresh Prince. You're working undercover with the Men in Black. You know, he's he's kind of shedding that, like the Fresh Prince in the Old West. But what I'm saying, you know, this is him, like, you know. Getting to flex some acting chops. What I'm saying though is,
0: like, he's with this movie. He's always done that. Like, he's done it. He's always been convincing to me. I've always thought that this movie elevated his career, and you know, I I just think yeah. that this is the part you know where it stands out for me. You know, looking at it in a acting sense, I I just think he's incredible, and and definitely, I don't know, he's he's good. So, like I said, he goes to the motel and. I forgot to mention when he goes to the hotel to check in before all this stuff is you know canceled and whatnot. he has a briefcase that gets taken from him too so like even when he's like down the dirt and has to go to a fucking hotel they're still stealing shit from his ass
1: yeah he's standing there arguing with the the check in clerk at the five star hotel and I think it's I, I believe it's either Lauren Dean or Barry Pepper's character walks by and just you know while he's distracted picks up his briefcase and just walks out you know, walks out the lobby in the
0: street. So the NSA's team of young bubble gummers are briefed for surveillance at <laughs> the uh, meeting uh, Robert set up, and then we see Robert trying to talk to Pintero, but is denied. All these lengths, the NSA is going to just cover up their own blunder. Like, does anyone believe this has ever happened before at any point in government history that they fucked
1: up and they're like, uh, let's cover this? Uh, uh, I, I would not be surprised. I, 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 I could see I, it. I do, but what I don't buy is, like, okay, let's face it. So, the only people who really, 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 really know what the hell's going down is going to be the characters played by John Void, Lauren Dean, and Barry Pepper. The rest of them are all just, like, under the assumption that this is some training exercise. This is a very deep... Expensive, elongated, life threatening fucking NSA training exercise. And these guys are supposed to be the brightest of the bright, you know, they're your techies working for the NSA. And even they're like, um, this is going a little too far than a training exercise. This is more this is more than just weekend warrior bullshit in the national. Never card. once happens. Yeah. You right. know? So
0: then we're taking the Mount Vernon Square down in Baltimore. Robert meets Rachel there
1: while all the undercover NSA members are spying, she reveals... And this this scene, and Ed, you'll know when you finally sit down and watch it, this scene is a direct homage. Uh, Cam, check me if I'm wrong here, but it is a direct homage to the opening of Coppola's The Conversation because the film opens with... That film opens with Cindy Williams and Frederick Forrest mm-hmm. discussing some covert shit, as they walk around a park in San Francisco and it's done almost exactly the way that it's depicted here only instead of the NSA, it's just Harry Call and his private eyes sitting in hotel rooms and on the street in disguise with microphones. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... That film is a direct homage to the first 10 minutes of the conversation.
4: Tony Scott, I mean, he's not a young guy, so he's definitely paying homage to these 70s films that undoubtedly shaped him... And, I mean, I, I would also suspect the reason this movie set at Christmas is because of Three Days of the Condor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good art. I never thought about that, yeah, but that's a, that's a good point. Definitely a good point.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, she reveals that the uh, IRS audited her, audited her and they, they froze her income. These guys even have people spying as homeless people at the fucking square here during this meeting. They hear Robert say Brill's name and they they immediately fucking go haywire before they perform a cross search as Rachel goes to leave and of course in true Hollywood fashion she admits that she's still in love she's still in love with uh
1: Robert so we really I'm sorry maybe I might be in the minority here but I'm I'm picking Lisa Bonet over Regina King any day
5: um
0: I've personally never I'll uh,
5: I'll, I'll stick to Jason Momoa (laughs) thank you
0: (laughs) I would like the option c please um you really see these guys hard at work as they're trying to keep up with rachel and Robert while she's telling robert about brill like they're all running frantically like oh brill he said the, he said the code word brill go get him get after him and she never. uh she never sees brill like I said she's the middleman but she just their encounters always involve a Mark mailbox and a fairy, but she never actually sees him.
1: And which kind of kind yeah, of basically she she indicates she needs to meet by put it chalk in a particular mailbox, and then she leaves a package under C-32. But I've never thought of this before. A particular. Ferry. I've never thought
0: about this before until just now. What's Wouldn't that? this contradict? Brills or uh, yeah, this story later on when they're at the diner together and he tells her tells uh Robert who she is to him about, you know, the father he served with and, and all that.
1: Wouldn't they contradict that? Um, I don't think it's like I, I see the thing is, I never took it away that she didn't know who Brill was. She was just playing very close to the chest without giving up his, okay. ear, close to the vest without giving up his identity. Right, right She never says, like, I don't, I've never seen this guy. She's like, yeah, we don't meet face to face. But she never once says, I have no idea who he is. She knows who he is, but also knows they got to live separate lives and keep it. I secrets. gotcha. That's how I, I read I guess that makes sense. It. That's how okay. I read it. That makes sense.
0: That checks out. So we see, um, Robert on the ferry. She was talking about. He's trying to. He's sitting there, just trying to figure out who Brilla is based on people's actions and whatnot, and and people that are sitting in that
1: seat. Uh, thirty two, you said so. Yeah, thirty two, and that's a legitimate ferry. That's that's yeah, I that's was going right to say that w- point. Guys. Well, this was actually the f- that's the point. This Boy was ferry. the first
0: thing they shot. Uh, when they when they started rolling cameras in January of ninety eight. Oh, was yeah, it really it was,
1: when they when they were on, when they were downtown. yeah the
0: first day of production or the first week I think was in Fell's Point and this ferry scene was the first thing they shot. Um, but yeah, I was just by this ferry uh, two days ago when I was down there at the Sound Garden. So I've
1: ridden on that ferry before, Robert. Uh,
0: I, I have to. It's, it's been so long. So, Robert encounters a fake bro. Who is Gabriel Byrne in a small cameo? Yeah, just stunt
1: casting. He just mm. pops shows up <laughs> for three minutes. Out and of I remember
0: going into this movie knowing that he was in this back in ninety eight. I knew Gabriel Byrne was in this movie, and when he popped up, I'm like, oh, cool. Now it's a party. But then he goes away and never see him again. I'm like, what the
1: fuck? What's-? And it's that, that's that's a little that's a little <clears throat> diversion to the audience because you know. We would believe, like us knowing Gabriel, I mean, uh, Gabriel Burns' bodies of work at that point in time, like it would be believable, like, oh, okay, so Burn is the Brill character. That makes sense. Right. So it kind of catches you off guard, but you as an audience member believe it given all the cast that's involved. You're like, all right, cool. Burns your, your inside man. I get it. Wait a minute. Sweet. So he, He's gone after three. He um, it, takes him to, a, he follows him to a restroom and
0: he reveals that there's a tractor inside of his shoe. He flushes it, and then they take off in his cab. And while trying to get information out of Robert, Fake Brill notices they're being chased by a pickup truck. We are now at the 58-minute mark of the movie, and we see Gene Hackman for the first time as he passes by in the truck. So Robert calls Carla, and that's the scene. Robert calls Carla, who has photographs of him and Rachel together from earlier in the day. And she tells him that the ATM and credit cards don't work. Like everything is just frozen right now. Just that's what they do. Apparently when they're one of your ass, they freeze all your assets.
1: Yeah. God forbid you're the target of an NSA training operation. <laughs> your life's going <laughs> to get fucking stuck.
0: Um, he abruptly hangs up and notices the real, uh, when he notices the real Brill who pulls him into an elevator with a gun and Gene Hackman uh the tracker signals are messed up inside the elevator so he stops it and quietly removes most of the tracking bugs and seals them inside of a chip bag what
2: the fuck is going on
3: wait they stopped Not your problem
2: high-frequency clutter here. We lost tracers 1, 2, and 6. Their signals are completely dead. Something is wrong here. four and five are on
0: their way up he's getting help boys he's getting help we had an arrangement no contact you
1: broke the rules We got to be heading for the roof air one we need to establish visual on the rooftop northeast corner chambers and light copy that rooftop northeast corner chambers and light you know mean federal agents you had
2: following you on that ferry i, I don't Who are you working for I'm not working. is this I'm not working. about me am i a target here do they know me who is they do they know me i don't know what you're talking about Either very smart or incredibly
0: stupid. Does that work? The, the whole chip bag thing. Like, I've always...
1: I, I think you're supposed to buy it because it's an odds yeah, bag but... lined with foil. And that's why he's using it. So, again, to your average movie goer, like, oh, okay, can't pick up through foil.
5: <laughs> well, they, they work for uh, metal detectors and stuff like that. Oh. The foil bags, they're used for uh, a lot of shopping and stuff like that.
0: Right. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: this guy's got a point.
0: Brill then plays 50 questions with Robert up on the uh, rooftop, and this is when we hear the line, you're either very smart or incredibly
1: stupid, but he's still per. Now, one thing I one, one thing I noticed, because he's like, you know, they're tracking you with this, tracking you with that. He pulls a tracker. Didn't he already pull it? The, they pulled it. No, he they, still has... Gabriel Burns, Brill pulled the tracker out of the he shoe, has, but he pulls a tracker. He has six. He's, he's got, got a tracker six. in each heel? has got
0: six, and yes, he has one in each heel. Those two of them are in his shoes. Okay. Um, okay. because both both the brills essentially pop off a sole and take off the tracker that, again, is just conveniently fitted into that
1: shoe. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, you can just easily just, just take, like, a pen knife and yeah. pop open. And this is a guy who wears arguably probably $400 loafers. <laughs> I don't think they're made that cheap. Yeah, uh, exactly. So the guys are still after him
0: because he did not get all the bugs. He's still partially bugged. Uh, it's his pants. So we, my my take on this encounter with uh, Will Smith and Gene Hackman uh, up on the roof is when I wrote this note. These two actors have incredible chemistry that never gets old. Like I I, mm-hmm. I love these two in this movie together. I think they they bounce off of each other
1: naturally. Um, it's yeah they, they, they fit yeah, together well. Works. It's like. It's it's like you're cocky young guy and you're curmudgeonly expert, if you mm-hmm. will, and they got that kind of dichotomy, that back and forth. It definitely it, it
4: definitely plays through. Because
0: if you don't have different. chemistry in a movie, shit's awkward, you know. And this,
4: well. Like the thing is, like I think Will Smith just is really good at establishing chemistry with grouchy old men because you saw it just you know one year earlier with Tommy yeah, Lee Jones. Right. So this makes a lot of sense, and neither Tommy Lee Jones nor Gene Hackman are known for being particularly uh, cuddly, you know, in person.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, for the, the couple of what was it? A couple of years before after this, when Hackman was back in town and made the replacements with Keanu. A year Williams. later, they mm, they filmed it yeah. here. A year yeah. later, yeah. Friend of mine was was working for Airmark at the time, and they were filming at, at at you know Raven Stadium, and he he was telling stories like Hackman was a dick, and Reeves was a really nice yeah, dude. I heard the same thing, yeah. I heard from people too that were down there for that.
0: Um, yeah, yeah I mean Gene Hackman must really love Baltimore,
1: <laughs> so <laughs> uh, he loves the zeros in his paycheck. Yeah, Let's get yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just a coincidence. <laughs> Welcome to fucking Mooseport.
0: <laughs> oh God, stop! <laughs> it's it,
1: way to go out on top. It Gene. still
0: breaks my heart to this day <laughs> that he went out with that movie.
1: So uh, he just had enough. He's like, "Fuck it, I'm cashing in and writing books." <sighs> so he warns him to
0: to uh, he wants him to find more trackers and get rid of them because he's still bugged and stay off the phones. That was that's key. Stay off of the phones. So they track Robert down when uh, at the. Um, 17th floor, where he gets into Mr. Woo's room, and yeah. strips off his clothes, puts on the robe.
1: Yeah, Miss yeah, Mrs. Woo's, like, getting all excited, because he's a sexy black guy, stripping down in her I hotel like suite. She breaks out her camera. I like
0: when he sees the guys chasing him, and he's outside the door, and he's, like, quietly knocking. He's like, Mr. Woo, Mr. Woo room service, please open the door, Mr. Woo. Um... And yeah, takes off, t- takes off in the uh, the robe, down, just jumping down balconies, tosses his pants, which was the final tracker, so now they can't track him, and then he gets trapped in a storage room. And I want to break this scene down and discuss it because this just, scene has always rubbed me the wrong way. Like this scene has always I, been yeah. off. Because I'm like. What the fuck's he doing? Like, he's basically committing suicide at this point.
1: I know. I mean, I get it. He gets in there to get away, and then he wants to set off the smoke detector, but he creates a giant fire with all these towels and mops and chemicals. And let's face it, this is arguably the largest storage room I've ever seen. Like, he's going down corridors in what would normally be a fucking janitor's closet. Yeah. It's... Evading the fire. Yeah, and he gets locked in, and he's doesn't mean, all he wants, his intention
0: is to light a cloth and put it against the sprinkler so it lets off the the alarm. No. He's gotta go knock over this, like, barrel of whatever that instantly creates a fucking just, the entire room is lit up within seconds.
1: It's a fucking, it's a four alarm fire in, the, it's, in a It's closet. insane.
0: What's even more insane is the fact that he survives this and doesn't have any, like, smoke inhalation at all, which bullshit right. like even in there for 30 seconds you're done for he's in there for like fucking five minutes like they still got to call out the uh the, the alarm still has to get the the, the the department the department still has to get there they gotta find the room he's in like he's done that ain't happening like ah uh, i love movies so in the ambulance robert it's not even done like he's still like this is far from over, because he's in the ambulance, and he fucking takes the cop's gun, and escapes, like, right off the bat, like, just right away, and then we're in, we're in the, uh, Fort McHenry tunnel in 95, a tunnel that I travel through quite often, uh, with an air duct, a fresh air duct underneath of it, because the, it, it's true, the 95 tunnel here, this is the, this tunnel that they're in is, um, a tunnel that goes underneath the uh, the Inner Harbor, Baltimore Harbor, yeah, and it's it's ninety five. It's 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 the part of uh, ninety
1: five that goes through the Inner Harbor, and it's so large. By ninety five, Ed means Interstate ninety five. It does. It literally there's a stretch of it that runs underwater through Baltimore. Right.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, ninety five Interstate ninety five. It's like a large. Um, You guys aren't from this country. On the the east coast, we have this large, from Maine down to Florida, this large stretch. It's 95, this interstate. And when you go through Baltimore and it, it, the inner harbor, it's like this big, you know, because we're right by the Chesapeake Bay, and it goes through it. And this tunnel is so large that it actually has a fresh air duct underneath of it that they got access to. So this duck that yeah, he's in really with did. the car chasing him, it wasn't on a set. Like this is the actual duck that's underneath the 95, like in real life.
1: It's legit. Now, now this whole chase scene, I made a funny note. I was like, you got Will Smith uh, running through Fort McKenney, Tun- McHenry tunnel in his underwear, carrying a gun, much like Martin's much like Martin Lawrence on Ventura Boulevard the year before. Ooh. <laughs>
4: <Burn. Damn. laughs> somebody got that joke <laughs> yeah i do remember those glory days of uh, martin lawrence breakdown yeah, yeah that yeah.
1: fucking meltdown with a gun in his underwear yeah. on ventura boulevard i don't remember that wow yeah yeah it was it was spring in like 90s wow all right well shit yeah um, <laughs> but i did i wrote that down <laughs> he's running through He's in his underwear with a gun running through Fort McHenry Tunnel like Martin Lawrence on Ventura Boulevard. So
0: they chase him, and what happens? He he encounters this, like, Jamaican guy who's doing maintenance work, and he, like, switches out of his—he uh, he, puts—he gives the guy— his swaps yeah, swap clothes, exactly, And that's how he gets away, unscathed. So we get our first glimpse of Reynolds' personal life with his wife, Emily, played by Anna Gunn, the wife of Heisenberg— Walter White himself yeah. in Breaking
1: Bad. Yeah, very young yeah, Skylar man. White still made me mad to see her. Very young. You little bitch.
5: you. Yeah, I still wanted to punch her <laughs> face. Right. Yep. You and me both.
0: Um, is it just me or is every scene that they're in together the in this movie, like John Voight just does a fucking damn good job of looking like he just wants to be anywhere but around her.
1: <laughs> and yeah, she's just his trophy <laughs> wife, man. The guy's a politician for Christ's sake. She's arm candy for the cameras. Uh,
4: yeah. This is uh, this is the era of when she was on Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Um.
0: Yeah. It's funny, like with that show, not Seinfeld, Breaking Bad. Like what it did for her career, because. Oh, yeah. Deadwood. She wasn't even a big character on Deadwood. She was Timothy Oliphant's wife, but
1: like, she didn't
0: right. do much on the show. You know.
1: Yeah, but people today, and I'm, she may be a very sweet lady, but people this day just can't fucking stand her because all they think about is the shrew that was Skylar White for the last three and a half seasons of fucking Breaking <laughs> Bad. Which is, a, I, let's face it, it's a testament to the writing and the performance, but Christ, God love her, let her shake it off. I know, oh, I mean, it's unfortunate. There are people that can't separate, you know,
0: reality from just work, you know? Like, this stuff is make-believe at the end of the day. Uh, and yeah. some people can't process that, I guess. So Robert goes home, and he's talking to his wife in the shed, and he wants her to go to her parents up in Philly, but she says no one's... Yeah,
1: this is this is the scene where Regina King takes out the trash wearing a robe and high-heeled pumps. Yeah, the uh, and, that weird? And, and
0: lingerie that he got for her for Christmas.
1: Right. She's taking the trash out and fuck a pair of pumps. What the fuck? <laughs> so... They
0: give Virginia King this role of the wife who's always watching the news and in the the know of everything political. Uh, She's very vocal, does a fucking awesome job at playing the role of someone who represents those types of people. People who really do exist, like who just sit around, watch nothing but like CNN or Fox News and like think they're politicians themselves and everything's going. This is what's going wrong with this country. Like she's kind of like one of those people, you know? Wouldn't you
1: agree? he makes a comment at one point about turn off the MSNBC and stop scaring the kids or something. Yeah, I mean exactly. Even Will Smith makes a comment about it in the movie.
0: So then we get the the scene with uh, Smith in the back of the the nanny's car. He's hiding in the trunk, or it's a station wagon. It's like you
1: know, yeah, he's hiding in the hatchback. The
0: hatchback, exactly. Thank you. Um, the the nanny who. Young Jack Black, who has the hots for, by the way, when they go and pick up his son Eric and his best friend Dylan, um, just pick him up as they're walking to school because he, you know, can't be picked up by, you know, mother satellite up above. He's, you know, they got. He needs to find out where this video game system is because that's what he finds out
1: is is
0: what he's looking for is in this fucking
1: thing. Well, what what happens in the garage is he's like that night I came home with the Christmas presents. Eric wanted to root through, so that's when he puts together that the kid took something out of out of one of his gift out of one of his shopping. Malls. Right, and that's what has him hide in the back of the nanny's car and, and tells the nanny to go pick up his son. And
0: over. the son says that it was broke. Then he tried to play with it, but it was broke. Nothing happens. So he asks him, you know, what are he do with it? And it'll go by with no one and whatnot. So then we cut to him walking up the streets outside of his house, um, and he notices the, the surveillance van and repu- reports it to the police uh, for sitting outside. He calls, says it was a suspicious man, probably doing drugs, and they, of course, them hearing everything, they hear the call put through and they move on. So Robert's able to mark the mailbox outside that you know after dropping something off in because now he's doing the same thing as before. And then he goes and discovers the dead body of Rachel Banks in the bathtub. And his clothes and his cuffs are by her body and clothes all over the place of his initials. I've never owned a piece of clothing in my life that had my own personal fucking initials on it.
1: That's that, Yeah, but you're also not a high-powered attorney either, dude. Those guys wear that kind are of Are high-powered shit. attorneys all for themselves like that? Do they all wear... Uh, their own initials wouldn't you be if you had six zeros in the bank i would everything i have would be monogrammed i'd wear a pair of socks once and throw them away i don't know probably if i had that kind of money you better believe it
5: it's also quite a british thing as well we do it a lot oh really (laughs) yeah but i like to mess around people's tags and uh sometimes i like switch mine with my girlfriend so she gets my clothes sometimes (laughs) (laughs) or i get her underwear either way
1: he, he just tells us about look at the initials. What was that? Uh, what, was, what, what was that line in, in, in "Fucking Val Kilmer's real genius? He's like Ken puts his name on his license plates, and the kids like my mother does the same thing with my underwear. Val Kilmer's like your mother put license plates in your <laughs> underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so spy hards are, are these tactics something you often see in the spy films you all cover?
4: Well, it depends on how serious a spy movie it is. <laughs> In a serious spy film, no. In a uh, cartoonish one or comic booky one, probably.
1: <laughs> now, guys, being that your specialty, I would like to think that you know, three days of the Condor as well as Spy Game kind of play pretty true. I've always I've always felt that like it, you know, it, it plays very true to how a world of espionage would really work. That's what, what, what's your take on that?
4: I think they're much more yeah, grounded in a more um, realistic way. Although I think if you want to see like real spy craft, you put on something like the Ipcris file where it's like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. A lot of paperwork.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of boring bullshit. But, yeah. You know, if you want to keep the audience enthralled with it yeah, and still keep the realism, I, I think both of those films and that, that's, that, 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 that's cool that you mentioned the fact that the Redford character could be one and the same, you know, I've never mm-hmm. looked at it that way, but it makes perfect fucking sense.
5: Oh totally, yeah. It also works on you know the, the, the time in which the film was made. You know True. The, the Ipcris file is is a good idea of what spy work was like in the sixties. Yeah. But uh, I'm not quite sure that's how it works now. But uh, spy work now in the in the you know twenty twenty two is a completely different beast.
1: Yeah, I mean it's all oh, sure. what what they're fighting against here. It's all it's all satellite surveillance and, and data mining for the most part.
5: Pretty much.
1: And real quick, while it's on my
0: mind, um, Regardless of what you think of the films themselves, I think everyone at some point should listen to the SpyHards take on Taken, Taken 2, and Taken 3. <laughs> it's like a trilogy of its own outside of the fact that the movie's like, I think we could all universally agree that the first film is pretty good. Second and third, not so much.
1: But I still really felt like they were rehashing the same shit. But I really And and I've said this before on Twitter, but I'm going to say it again
0: on on the actual podcast here. Like, I really, really enjoyed those listens to all three of those episodes. Like the first one, that was the first time I listened to you guys was taken. And I'm not sure what led me to that episode. It might have been you guys dropped it that day. I don't remember what it was, but I listened to it and really, really liked it. And then you guys did the, the second one, listened to that. And I knew you weren't going to like them the sequels at least, but I still just wanted to hear what you guys had to say about it. And I just, you know, uh, definitely three episodes, you know, you can listen to, um, and you know, a lot of your material is good. You know, I, I listen to you guys pretty frequently and, uh, those are the ones that stand out, but you know, all in all, it's really good. So I don't know. I just, I just wanted to take this time real quick to just, you know, talk about you guys since we're this is a spy movie you know and that's why i wanted to have you guys on you know we have this little circle of of friends in the form of podcasts on twitter or whatnot but we all some of us have like you know that that's that's what we do you know and, and this it's spy film that's what you guys do you do spy films so
4: yeah that's right and i mean it's funny because when we did the takens i don't know that either of us thought oh yeah people are really going to love those Taken episodes in comparison to things like James Bond or whatever that do huge I numbers. I love them. But like the, yeah, the Taken episodes actually proved far more popular than we really realized they That's good.
0: And they're good episodes. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad to hear that.
4: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. We have great guests on those too. Yeah, yeah.
0: I agree. Um, that's where we at here. So yeah, Robert finds Brill and tells her about the death of, um, or tells him about the death of her pronouns, uh, Rachel, and he also shows them the machine with the tape that they're after. Uh, before he gets kicked out uh, and then let back in, and this all takes place on the Howard Street Bridge, uh, by the way, when he throws him out of the car and then stops and picks him back up. So they stop before they go to Brill's uh, little hideout. They stop at a convenience store and Brill tells Robert don't use the phone or reminds him not to use the phone well I bring this scene up because this is a old Royal Farms convenience store that I actually would frequent every day before work because I used to work around the corner at that blockbuster on Boston Street and this is the this is the uh, convenience store I would go to for my energy drink and snap prior to going to work and it's just so funny seeing this on film. So this is where he goes in and says, you know, don't don't stay in the car, don't do anything. And what's the first thing he does? Fucking gets on the phone calls his wife. So we get, they leave, and the NSA, they identify Brill, and they learn that his real name is Edward Lyle. Is face recognition a real thing in 1998? were they able to do that on their like super computers that they were fucking deciphering shapes and and finding tapes in and stuff like that like or is
5: that just oh uh, i think the face recognition is a lot more believable than the uh the zooming and, enhance and, and well, I and they could do it, it now I mean,
0: my fucking iPhone has face recognition but i just oh no, no i don't I, mean, I,
5: I, I mean but I, I think they could i think i think they could do it oh, yeah. i think they could do it
0: how about you, Sean?
5: You
4: has gotta adjust the shadow variant, you know. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um yeah, yeah. So they go to the hideout of Brills, and it's an abandoned warehouse complete with a Faraday cage that he calls the jar. So you guys want to explain what a Faraday cage is? I'm sure you know all about them.
5: Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, strangely, it hasn't really come up in these spy films we've tackled so far. But luckily, I know what a Faraday cage is. So I can explain it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Ken. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Only because I've been in them. Um, So basically, Faraday cages, it's not necessarily a cage, as it's referred to as. It's more to do with blocking incoming and outgoing signals. Um, anything to do with Wi-Fi, phones, any sort, of, uh, any sort of major signal, basically. It stops it from incoming in and going out. So with inside, you can have a network of computers inside the Faraday cage that could talk to each other. But unless it's hardwired, they can't go out of the cage and nothing can reach them inside the cage. So if you use your mobile phone inside the Faraday cage, you'll have no signal. And so second you walk back out again, you'll have signal again.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah, and this and this scene with that Faraday cage, especially coupled with the facial recognition shot, this is the definitive proof to me that Everett Lyle and Harry Cole are one and the same. Because that first instance when they get into the warehouse and he unlocks a cage for the first time, I'm literally I'm looking for John Cazal to be over in the corner with a set of headphones, (laughs) tweaking a couple of reel to reels. You know what I mean? Like that is your definitive proof. Especially when he says he's been working here for fifteen years, that's right around the time that that call would have said, "Fuck this noise! I'm getting out of the West Coast," and would have went underground. Because they even say it like around the eighties is when he went off the grid, which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. to me. So I'm, you know, to the I'm going to carry that a grave, but Harry Call and ever Lyle are it's the, the same amount of syllables, same amount of letters in their name. They're the same fucking person.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty one to one.
0: All right, so we got Brill revealing that he is the former NSA communication analyst and he identifies Reynolds as the Hammersley uh, from the Hammersley assassination because they sit there and they watch the tape. So they see the murder and meanwhile, the young dumbs show up and alert their presence. <laughs>
1: young dumbs. Yeah,
0: they come in and right off the bat, they alert their presence. So it's like, hey, we're here. Alarm goes off. Beryl activates a bomb. That is set to blow up the entire place and everything inside, including the evidence. And we still, we so we see that Brill also takes an interest to his uh, his, his cat. And then we get the explosion. This is a big. I remember them filming this because um, yeah. it was right around the corner, right outside of Old Dundalk when this happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So they, they get out. I could I could I, I, I could drive there in about twelve minutes was, from where it I'm it sitting right time now. was springtime in '98, I want to say it was March
0: of '98 when they filmed this. uh, uh yeah. because well, because 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 this um, <laughs> you know, they get out narrowly. All, Jamie King, King, Jamie Kennedy, uh, Jay, uh, Jake Busey, Scott Conn, like the whole gang. They're all in there. They realize this place is booby trapped. It's a bomb. They get out at the nick of time. No one dies. Well, they do, but not yet. Um, and then we get the car chase through the train yard. Uh, the car is making it awfully far with the hood that's set in, engulfed in flames. Yeah. Um, the tape's ruined after the flames engulf Will Smith inside the car. I wonder if Will knew just how much fire his character was going to be encountered with uh, before signing on to this movie. Because he comes across an awful lot of fire in
1: this movie, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, right, right after Lyle says something about the broken fuel line, then boom, all of a sudden from the floorboards up comes a flame setting uh, uh, Robert Dean's overcoat it's on fire. really that weird. That overcoat, he just... Because he, like, reaches yeah. into the
0: glove compartment and all something like that. He, he, he like, pulls a... He, I don't know. He does something, and it just all of a sudden, whoosh! His entire fucking arm and like up top chest area is like engulfed in flames, and like he's freaking out. Yeah.
1: Meanwhile, the the the, the big ass SD card is in one of the pockets of the overcoat and gets toasted. Yeah. So, no more tape, Bama.
0: Uh, Robert helps Brill narrowly escape being killed by a train, but these two get into these fights throughout this movie, and this one's pretty intense. This fight afterwards. Brill ends up hijacking a car with his trusty shotgun on the over, on the uh, 83 overpass. And Brill says he needs sugar or else he gets cranky. Again, this chemistry between these two. I love it. So they go to eat, and this is where Brill explains that he was stationed in Iran during the Iranian Revolution, and his partner was uh, Rachel's dad. And he was killed, but Lyle escapes and has been working... Uh, Coverly, ever since employing Rachel as a courier, and he urges Dean to then go into hiding. But Dean is determined to clear his name and get his life back. Shit is personal, just like every Hollywood movie. So they go to Bro's apartment to change, and then they go to get some equipment that they need. I like this bit here. He's like, Say hi to Bill. Hi, Bill. He's like, Hey, you know where the wire is, Steve? I thought you said his name was Bill. No, you're Bill. Like, no, your no, bill. Your bill. Um, you tell me that because I just told you. Now you know. And I like this next plan Dean and Brill trail U.S. Congressman uh, Sam Albert, who's Stuart Wilson's character, who also supports the surveillance bill. And they videotape him with his mistress, AKA his aide, who's a real bitch when she calls the front desk when the TV's messing up. And Dean and Lyle, they plant surveillance devices in Albert's Hotel. They plant devices at Reynolds' house. They put money into Reynolds' bank account in the form of, like,
1: 70 grand each to make it look like he was taking a bribe. Like, they, they turn yeah, the tables. Because, yeah, Lyle has that conversation. He's like, you understand guerrilla warfare? You take a weakness, turn it into a strength. So we're going to take all their strengths and turn it around against them so that it leads them back to us. are which is exactly what they do over the next couple of minutes.
0: Exactly. They just completely just change it to turn the tables. That's that's it. So this all leads to this meeting. Because uh, we got, they are going to record the conversation outside. Or he's going to have Will Smith record it from the room. But as soon as he hits record, he's got to get out of there because they're going to track him right away. He says... And then, meanwhile, he disguises himself as a police officer. So that it's pretty smart too, because he's just like, broad daylight—you'll never shoot a cop. You won't make it a block. So he's, he's
1: yeah, and they are right outside of what we call Central. Boulevard, yeah,
0: it's which right is there,
1: Main Precinct, downtown Gay right of Street. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, you could you could drive down there anytime. time of daylight. I remember when I used to work downtown. Every morning we go right past, it, and there's dudes out there like with shotguns, yeah, yeah, yeah. like armed fucking. <laughs> COS are right outside that building And that building's like a castle covered in bar So
0: Voight and Hackman, they meet up Hey there
3: Edward Lyle Policeman Very clever Let's you call your friends over? Fred Step towards the fence for me This won't
0: take a second He's clear, sir.
3: So, do you have the tape? Yes, I have. Here? No. Then what is there to talk about?
2: Money. Money?
3: I was wondering why I hadn't seen it on CNN. Have you looked at the tape?
2: What's on it? Your ugly ass face is on it. Shows the death of Congressman Hammersley.
1: The needle behind the ear. Three faces, readily identifiable. How much do you want for it? $1.8 million.
2: What?
1: My file cleared. I want my life back. My 1980 salary with cost of living increases for the past 18 years, plus interest. Oh, shit. Plus retirement package for executive level E16. Comes to 1.85. I rounded it down. And for
3: this, I get the tape and uh, Mr. Dean.
1: Actually, it's Dean that has the tape.
3: Oh, shit. So what does he want?
1: He wants to know why you killed the girl.
3: What girl are you talking about? I tried to explain it to him, but I couldn't figure it out myself. You're getting self-righteous on me? Because I've seen your file.
1: Not exactly a beacon of light. Yeah, I agree. It's just that... You kill Hammersley, okay? I wouldn't have, but I understand the argument. But why the girl? Just to get to some schmuck that barely knows you're after him. Schmuck? We never had to deal with domestic. With us, it was always war. You won the war.
3: Now we're fighting the peace, it's a lot more volatile. Does he take this long doing everything? Now we've got 10 million crackpots out there with sniper scopes, sarin gas and C4. Ten-year-olds go on the net. Download encryption we can barely break. Not to mention instructions oh, on how to make a low-yield nuclear device. Privacy's been dead for 30 years because we can't risk it. Only privacy that's left is the inside of your head and maybe that's enough. Uh, get him to say something. Located subject. Keep him talking. You think we're the enemy of democracy? You and I? I think we're democracy's last hope. There's always going to be power. You shouldn't be there, Robert. But if
1: you are, get out. They're on to it. Get out and follow procedure.
0: And it's it's ambushed. But uh, Bro and Robert, when they go to escape, they both get captured. And then Void has this monologue about privacy and peace and how true is this shit when he's talking about the topic of privacy in reality? Like, a lot of this stuff hits home. Um, it, 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 yeah, especially now. He's like, only privacy you get's in your own. Yeah, head. it might not have 24 years ago when this came out, but t- today, yeah, this movie's pretty fucking relevant if you ask me. Um, yeah. And that's just not, that's that's not only a biased opinion either. It's just the truth. So, they're ambushed. They're ordered to get in this van and they shoot Bro in his hand, then, then then, Robert intervenes, and he's like, you want a tape? I'll take you to the tape. I know where the tape is. And this is why we are going through all that Pintero, Tom Sizemore stuff early on in the film, because it comes full circle, and it brings us to the third act, and that is when he takes them to uh, Pintero's place, and... You already, before the, this final standoff even happens, you're putting the pieces together, and you're like, oh, shit, now I know what's going on. Because he's, it's you know, in reality, Will Smith's dealing with two situations throughout this movie that both involve tapes. So, you know, and he kind of, like, combines them all and goes in, and he brings the guys with him, and they go see Pintero, and you know there's this huge mix-up about the tape, and then the FBI keeping tabs across the street. They they see uh, Brill like, go outside in his cop uniform. He's got the blood all over his hand from being shot, and it, it, shit. It just it leads all of this that I'm talking about now. It leads to a massive standoff.
3: Now he's your friend. You persuade him to give us the tape. Hey, look. Number one. He's not my friend. And number two, it's not his tape. Whose is it? It's mine. Okay? It's mine. I bought it. You sold it to him? Now you listen to me. Who are you? The fuck are you trying to do to me? Well, this looks bad. I'm with the federal government. Oh, the federal government made a
2: videotape? You guys ought to get in there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, listen. Now We can go get a warrant, come back with the FBI, take anything we want, arrest anybody that we want. Just give the man the videotape. The only one going to get arrested here is you. felonious cock sucking with an attempt
3: to swallow the evidence. So shut your mouth. And you, get the fuck out of here. Go get your warrant, and until then... Get out of my joint. Come on, you, gotta, you gotta get
0: in, in there, because there's gonna be dead bodies all over the Get in there! Get in there! Come on! Shit, forget it. Go okay, on, go. let's go. This is it! This is it! Come here! Stay you here with us! Don't in the side entrance. So
3: what are we waiting for? Come on, let's go! No. Tony says we wait until they show up, we wait. Put the guns away. You put your guns away. Put it away. Put it away. Put away, put away. All right, I'm putting it away. Now, what will it take for us to get that videotape? The end of the world. Let's go. We're leaving. Put the guns down now. Everybody, drop your weapons! No!
0: In this standoff, it ends. It ends in a pool of blood and everyone inside dead, well, all but Will Smith, because, you know, he, as soon as the first shot gets fired, he goes right underneath that fucking table, <laughs> and just, this massacre takes place, and everything from the quick flash cuts to the, the, the heavily orchestrated music going on, it's just, there's something about this scene that just, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I don't know. There's something about it. I can't put my finger on it, but uh, it's kind of a satisfying conclusion, if you will. So,
4: well, it's like Tony Scott knows how to stage a sequence like this, because I mean, we've seen it just a few years earlier movies, in exactly. True Romance, also with Tom Sizemore, yep, right? right? Tom Sizemore also factored right. into that one, exactly. Yeah.
0: So Brill slips away and this little cop get-up, during the uh, chaos while the FBI rescues Robert and uncovers the entire conspiracy. And then, you know, as a little epilogue here, we get the we hear that the bill is abandoned to avoid a national scandal. But the Congress is going to abandon the bill while also covering up the NSA's involvement to preserve the agency's reputation. Everyone goes home happy. Robert Dean is uh, Robert Dean Will Smith. He's cleared of everything. Gets back with his wife. Yeah, they
1: basically they 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 they, uh, they even go to the point of having a headline on a newspaper showing that Pantero had Rachel Banks killed. So that got swept neatly under the rug. Uh, I didn't even see that. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Local mob boss and um, or deceased mob right. boss charged with murder of Rachel Banks. So like they tie everything up in a nice, neat little bow, and anybody who could argue otherwise is six feet under at okay. this point.
0: And then recovering from his ordeal at home, we see Dean, um, he's looking at himself on TV all of a sudden, kind of like what happened earlier with uh, yeah, John Yeah, he's Boyd. changing
1: channels, and then all of a sudden he sees himself on the And television. then a
0: farewell message from Brill, or Edward Lyle, showing himself, relaxing on a tropical Oh, his legs, showing his wet, hairy legs on this tropical beach uh, with his cat. Yeah, you're right, cat. wish you were here in Yeah, the with, with his cat. And then the film ends with Larry King's interview from earlier with Congressman Albert uh, with him telling the politician in response to the bill that he has no right coming into his home as a swooping digital shot of the satellite orbiting the planet closes out this film, and that is Enemy of the State from Tony Scott.
4: Yeah, and it's also notable, actually, that um, he, um, his you know the Gene Hackman character exits the movie in a way that's very similar to Sean Connery in The Rock.
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, you're not wrong.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Just Exit stage less, disappear in the chaos, and, you know, retire to your life of luxury. Yeah. Off the grid, outside the public eye.
4: We never got to see Sean Connery frolicking on the beach. No, no, no. no. But, you know. He gives gives that thumbs up. up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, so somewhere they're out there with Morgan Freeman helping Tim Robbins fix his boat. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, trivia tidbits.
2: Now remember that, because the more you know.
0: All right, so the NSA refused to cooperate with the production. Shocker. I am, sh- yeah, I wonder I am why. completely shocked by right. the news. Aerial footage of the headquarters in Fort Meade, Maryland had to be shot from public airspace. No part at all. Uh, Gene Hackman turned down this movie several times, but was ultimately convinced to sign on after a phone call by director Tony Scott. Will Smith later signed on at a a, uh, uh, relative... He signed on at a relative post-Independence Day bargain price because he wanted to work with Gene Hackman. Uh, the storm drain car chase scene was shot in a large air duct tunnel below the four main bores of the Fort McHenry Road Tunnel in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, like I explained, it, it, it's it's ninety-five. It's pretty much everything that I said during the uh, phone or the the film breakdown, uh, pretty much word for word. Uh, even the water in there, it was hosed in from nearby sprinkler main,
1: uh, Jer- Yeah. I mean, only, only authorized, like, you know, maintenance and tunnel maintenance employees have yeah. access. And they actually had to cut these cars yes. down into like three pieces just to get them Thank down you. there. They had to cut. And they put them back together. They, they had to cut the cars apart. Yes move them down there in pieces and then put them back together. To I
0: completely them. forgot to mention that. Thank you. Yes. They, they get those cars down there. That's what they had to do. Cut them and, re- and reassemble them, which is crazy to think about, but that's what they did. So,
1: Yeah, but is because it's definitely not a section of the tunnel you can drive no, to? Abs- no, absolutely. You've no. got to go through a door and climb it's down It's
0: an ladder. air duct, you know, Don no. Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer began developing the story for this movie back in 1991. The average shot length. <laughs> Anyone want to take a guess what
1: it is? What's the average shot? I already said three and a half. You said I overshot it. So. Uh, uh,
4: yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say, oh, God, maybe two and a half.
0: Two point four.
5: I'll round it off with uh, two point four.
0: Oh. Was the average uh, shot length? And the average median. Uh, the, the median shot length is two point two seconds. So um, yeah, quick cuts all around. The Gene Hackman character, Brill, is strikingly similar to his character in The Conversation, Harry Cole. The assumption is that they are uh, the same person, just using different names. Yep. Um, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith were married in Baltimore during this location shoot. And finally, my note here is it is technically a Christmas movie. <laughs> I, I wrote that on there. Um, so no one ever talks about that.
4: Well, yeah, we try to cover Christmas spy movies every year, so I guess this will be on our docket at some point in the far-off future.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, box office receipts. In the operational funds box... We will deposit 250000 American dollars.
3: You take it out, we put more in. I want
1: receipts.
0: The film was released on November 20th, 1998 from Touchstone Pictures. It opened up um, in 2,393 screens, uh, opening up at number two, opening weekend, $20 million. Get a load get a load of this. <clears throat> so it opened up second place, twenty million, opening weekend, second weekend. It drops down to third. And it only drops nine point six percent. It brings in eighteen point one million dollars at second weekend. That, that that's fucking crazy. Average I mean, I'm used to seeing movies drop at least forty, forty to fifty percent is the average drop off. Um between the first and second weekends 9.6% that's really fucking good Um, and if you're wondering at home what was number one it was the Rugrats movie the total gross overall this movie brought this movie brought in $250.8 million against a budget of $90 million it's really good it's a lot of bank for this kind of movie Um, to to be honest with you, I don't remember this movie being that big. I remember this movie being average, but I mean, for a a modest film such as this, you know, two hundred and fifty point eight million dollars is a lot of money, especially for ninety for ninety eight.
4: So. Oh yeah, I mean, this was definitely solidifying Will Smith as a star because you can look at the previous Mm -hmm. stuff and maybe write it off as the concepts, you know, people like alien comedies or whatever. Um, Independence Day is a big ensemble disaster film. Whereas here it's like, here's a thriller headlined by Will Smith. So people are buying tickets largely for Will Smith. Yeah, you're right.
0: I mean, I guess that really says a lot about his name value uh, for that time. And he was big. I mean, he was huge. He was, I remember in the nineties, like, and there weren't, not every actor was like this, but, I don't know, early on in his career, at least, I mean, it's not like that anymore, unfortunately, but Will Smith's movies, when they came out, were like an event. Independence Day, Men in Black, this, um, what did he follow this up with? I want to say it was... Um,
4: uh, it was Wild Wild West. I was about to say
0: Wild Wild okay, West. Okay, well, well, you know what I'm...
4: That film was an event. Yeah,
0: yeah, right you're, you're right. You're right. An <laughs> event. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Th- so yeah, and then um, just like I always felt like Jim Carrey movies in the '90s was an event, especially every fucking thing he did in '94: Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Is followed by Batman Forever, and then Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, and then The Cable Guy, and then you know, it, it, the list goes on. I always felt there was. Like I said, not every actor, but Will Smith, people like that, like they did movies in the '90s. It was kind of an event, and you know this was no different. So,
4: yeah, totally. And I mean, Adam Sandler had a bit of a run as well. Uh,
0: yeah, you're right. I was gonna. It, yeah, I I can definitely um, include him in that as well. His films were definitely events. Maybe not so much Bulletproof, which is unfortunate because I love Bulletproof.
4: No. It's it starts with the water boy, and then like little Nikki doesn't do great, but then like Big Daddy and the next few do very Mr. well. Mr.
0: Deeds and all that. So, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, let's go to the critics' corner and see what they had to say about the film. <laughs> reviews. Rotten Tomatoes has got a 72% based on 86 reviews with the critical consensus reading an entertaining topical thriller that finds director Tony Scott on solid form and Will Smith confirming his action headliner status. On Metacritic it has a 67 out of 100 based on 22 reviews and on CinemaScore it currently has an average grade of A-. Uh, the LA Times expre- expressed enjoyment in the movie noting how its pizzazz overcame occasional lapses in moment to moment plausibility uh, Janet, Ma- Janet Maslin of the New York Times approved of the film's action-packed sequences but cited how it similar how it was similar in manner to the rest of the members of Simpsons and Bruckheimer's school of empty but sensation act- sensation-packed filming I, I can see where she's coming from with that comment, um, but I don't I don't agree with it. I can see what she's saying though.
1: Um, I mean, let's face it: nobody walked into a Simpson Bruckheimer production thinking they were getting like Merchant Ivory they, they level work, where people are going to be walking away. They were they weren't going to their films for originality sad nominations. No, so that was yeah. it. Was, a, it, was a, it was a it was escapism. At its finest. Right. When those two guys got together and <laughs> put pen to paper and, and, and you know, this celluloid to fill. Right. Alright, let's
0: talk pros and cons. Before I take on any job,
3: I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing.
0: Positive versus negative. Now you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that. And you get a reaction. So I'm going to start with my pros. And we'll just go around the table here um, real quick. So uh, I I got five pros for this I wrote down. Rock solid cast. I really do like this script. And and it doesn't... I've never felt like this script insulted me. I never felt insulted with the script of this movie. Yeah things were a stretch, you know, implausibility of one thing, but I don't think that it ever made me feel stupid, this movie, um, for what it is, the way other films do. Um, Tony Scott, boom. That's, like, one of the biggest pros of this movie. Smith and Hackman's chemistry, and the simple fact that it's a fun movie. It really is, um, and that's, you a lot of the reason why I like it so much. So those are the things I wrote down for my
1: pros, uh, Sean. Why don't we go with you next with your pros? Um, I mean, it's definitely fun. Like I said, it's the first time I looked at it in the last, you know, since I first saw it twenty some years ago. <clears throat> don't know why I never bothered to revisit it. It's definitely it's it's a good time. It's you know you turn your brain off. It's a fun little adventure story. Um, another pro for me is so much of of familiar settings. With you know, arguably they shot a lot of this real, real, real close to home. When it comes to films that have right. been that have been shot in our mm-hmm. hometown, so that was always cool. You know, remembering blowing up that building that spring. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I did the I did not realize how many up and comers were in this cast until today. I'm like, because even back then they were nobodies to me. Yeah, when I it's watched so them. many. I, even know, even our boy have.
0: Jamie Kennedy's in this movie.
1: Many times. <laughs> this um but uh, yeah yeah to see all the you know to see them and and let's face it they were all they were all like uh oh, gene hackman tony scott bruckheimer smith yeah want a part of this movie so everybody you know er- everybody plays their part and they play their part well mm-hmm. um that's that's what i had fun with yeah. i mean it's you know it was at the time, it seemed a little far fetched and implausible. Whereas now we're like shit; they can do more than that with these satellites in the sky, you know. So watching it today, it's a little more prescient as to, you know, what the threat is. Why Regina King's character is, you know, such an armchair quarterback against it, and why the hell Harry Lyle owns a fuck a Faraday cage. I kind of want a Faraday cage myself. <laughs> hmm.
4: Line my whole line my whole living room. All right, Faraday cage.
0: All right, Cam. How about you, man?
4: I mean, yeah, I have the cast underlined big oh, yeah. time because not only just Will Smith and Gene Hackman, and this is a Will Smith before he's like super, super yeah. powerful, where he just brings his team. Of, yeah, before he just brings his team of writers onto every project and makes them a little you know, sand it down, like it feels like they're kind of, there's no way a Will Smith movie made now would have his character having committed adultery right, for a few right, years right. in the past. No, so like, no, it's
1: definitely, yeah, It's it, this is not one where, where, where he, I mean, you know, aimed it towards his character. Guys, yeah. this is only his so,
0: like, third big budget, like his third big movie. Like, he's done a lot of movies at this point that he's done like six or seven total at the time, but like, this was his like third movie that was like on a big scale like a big studio film um right. and so yeah he was definitely still being established so i agree with that 100 cam definitely
4: yeah and just all the young actors like you can just tell they're just hungry so they bring so much energy to just like small bit parts so like the movie just comes alive whenever they're there and i mean let's face
1: it Seth Green has a bigger part in this film than, than Gene Hackman does. I think he gets more screen time. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> he has quite a bit. Yeah. And like, you know, it's all the, they, I remember, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but it was a certain filmmaker was talking about how he liked to put lots of comedians in his movies, because if you give them, you know, small little dramatic bits, they know how to make them just really pop. And that's kind of the case here where it's like all these comedically talented actors being given these roles and a lot of its exposition and they just right. bring it to yeah. life. So. Yeah.
1: It would normally be like a, like a, a throwaway snoozy moment, there's, you know, uh, an action or a line of dialogue delivered that almost becomes pop culture and kitschy, and you still remember it years later. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And so I also have just, like, Tony Scott, the style of his movies, and just the action sequences, because this needs to be a propulsive thriller, and it is. Mm-hmm. It pulls it off very well. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. Uh, and then just, like, just, like, a lot of the like the settings, the way they just like bounce around locations, each one feels unique. Um, there's no sense of kind of I find with some thrillers they get kind of repetitive or they feel kinda of old at a certain point. This is a long movie, it's over two hours, but just the various scenarios they come up with and the locations they use, it just keeps it feeling alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Scott
5: Well it's hard to follow up everyone else's really great points. I think you've all said all, all of my good points anyway, but I mean, all I've really got was um, I found the plot. And one thing we've noticed with spy films a lot is they overly uh, just complicate things just for the sense of it. Just because it's a spy film, so you have to have 20 twists right. and, you know, uh, you know, three mm. switcheroos and everything. This is it's not overly complicated. It has a small complication from time to time, but enough that the the, the viewer can keep up with the film and keep you interested at the same time so it's not too simple I think it it does that uh, it it rides that quite well Um, I like the twist at the end I think that's a nice little twist there and I just think much as we mentioned earlier the um, the sort of the chemistry between uh, Smith and Hackman is what carries you through this film they're both terrific
0: alright let's go through cons now Um, we'll be quick can be hard to follow at times it really can, especially when you don't really aren't familiar with this kind of uh, um whatever. I'm looking, of the, yeah, genre, genre or genre. material. Material that's what I was looking for. If you're not familiar with like the material and whatnot, then it can be difficult to follow, I can tell, or I can uh, imagine. Some actors just show up and really aren't given enough to do. I'm looking at you, Jamie Kennedy. It's they're just there for the sake of being there, and it's not so much a con or a fault against them. It's just th- how they were handled, or maybe they did have things that were shot but didn't make it to the cutting room floor. Because
1: it's Hollywood; it can be fickled. It's how it is. Um, well, if I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there was uh, there was an extended cut. Cause I remember, there is um, reading somewhere where there's. Like where you talk about Jack Black having a thing for the nanny and he goes on and on and on about how she doesn't like there's a long bit instead of him just be like, oh, she don't shave her legs. That's hot. It goes more into that. And it develops his character a little bit like, okay, this guy's into older, hairy women. Right. Right. You know, so maybe there was some stuff because I don't know that 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 Barry Pepper, Lauren Dean, Jamie Kennedy or Scott Conn even got a fucking name in this movie. Like, I don't know what their names are. They're just, you know,
5: Jamie Kennedy in a beanie. I I can confirm Jamie Kennedy's character's name is (laughs) Jamie.
1: Yep,
5: (laughs) there you go. Uh, And (laughs) big reach on Uh, that one.
0: Last two some of the technology is kind of eh. And finally, Seth Green's glasses. (laughs)
4: <laughs> There's a few yellow tinted sunglasses in this movie. Well, it no, was, those
1: star are star, those man. are legit. I, honestly, I, I can tell you from working at Best Buy, those are a thing I, I used to wear. Them. Like, I got like, I, like I my geeks. yeah, my geek squad guys wear them because they're in front of the screen so much. It makes sense for his character. I used to
0: wear, wear yellow tinted glasses, and then I saw this movie, and I said, "Fuck that!" Seth Green's now doing it. I can't be doing it, and I stopped.
1: Well, he's not doing it for fashion, though. It's because of what he does. He, those those glasses are designed for people who are in front of the computer all the time. So if you take away that it's just him trying to be all kind of, you know, pop culture fashion look and more of... Because we sold them at Best Buy. My Geek Squad guys wore them back in the precinct. It's a legitimate thing that somebody who's going to be in front of a computer, especially, you know, these hackers in a fucking van... That is something they would they would wear. Not just for, you know, style. It's for function. There you go. Or you know. Uh Sean Conn's okay. go. Um, mine's gonna be the techie stuff. I mean, it works, it's fun, it works well on screen, but you know, like we talked about the whole, you know, lingerie store surveillance camera, it's complete and you know, completely implausible. But I mean that's that that that's a throwaway nitpick. I mean, we could say that about, you know, modern day procedurals on commercial television. That's, I mean, that's really all I got. I mean, I, 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 the film gave right, me what yeah. I wanted. You know, I turned my brain off for two hours with a bag of popcorn and a silo of soda, and it delivered for my $8.50. Um, that's the really only con I got because, like, even like like what Scott was saying, where it doesn't overexpose, it overexpose itself with expository dialogue. It doesn't get too convoluted in, in the whole spy game type thing, if you will. It's not quite cookie cutter, but it's a streamlined thriller espionage story that even my grandmother could follow. Right. You know. Um, so, yeah, really, my only con is, the you know, how far fetched they take, you know, the tech in this movie. I mean, some of it is, is is plausible today that it wouldn't have been plausible in 97 or 98. But even some of the stuff that they try to make plausible then still can't be done today. That's, that's really the only thing I got, but, you know, it's a necessity for the story. It's, you know, your Hollywood eyes did because that's what that's what gave it the gloss and the sheen, and it made looking at a computer screen thrilling instead of All right. Cam?
4: You're yeah. up. Um, yeah, I mean, I have some of the techie stuff as well. Some of the really ridiculous 90s right, era right. Um, computers are evil kind of stuff is pretty laughable. It doesn't age well with the movie. No. Um, there was... I thought, like, some of the plot stuff got a little overly convoluted in terms of how Lisa Bonet's character ties into all of this. I was like, at a certain point, you're like, oh, my God. Like, this is really uh, doing somersaults yeah, here with the plotting. Yeah, she's needed. But, I, I agree. Yeah. She's
1: she's there to connect exactly. me to Exactly. And that's yes.
4: It. Yeah.
1: That's her only
4: purpose. And I do think, like, it's – and this is the case for so many action movies of this particular era. A little long. Like, I do think you could bring this movie in at two hours.
5: Yeah.
0: You can. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some things that can be cut that absolutely can be cut. So I, I do not disagree with that at all. Um, All right. Scott, you're up, buddy.
5: Well, it's funny you can't should mention that. It just, I think that means it's probably why we podcast together. But the first thing I've got down is length and pacing. Um, I think it just bogs down a little bit in the middle. Uh, it could do it just okay. being trimmed down a wee yeah, bit.
1: That's fair. Um. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit <laughs> too much cat and mouse in in action. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like we go from cat to mouse, cat mouse, cat mouse, cat mouse, cat mouse. We could have we could have did without two cats and too much you
5: know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But then uh, the other thing that bugs me is the fact that Will Smith becomes a really good spy after seeing his wife <laughs> in her underwear. Yeah, <laughs> it's that motivation he needed. Um. I mean, I I wish that motivated me to be a, a better spy. Um, maybe I should I should look harder next time. I don't know. All right. Uh, and then and then lastly was just yeah the the technology choices. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think we all commonly had that on our clients list as well. So yeah. cool. Okay. Well, uh, let's move on to Mulligan moment.
3: If you had to do it
0: all over again, would you make the same choices? And if I was able to change one thing about this movie, I would correct the disrespect they do to my man Gabriel Byrne in this film. Give him I know he's there as like a ruse uh, to uh, for Will Smith because of this whole Brill thing that they got going on, but uh, you look, you have Gabriel Byrne on your set. Do something with him. Like, don't Throw him in a bathroom in a taxi cab for like two days worth of shooting. Like, I feel like he could have maybe been more a part of the team or something. I don't know. Um, I've and I've always felt like that for the record. I've always felt that this movie just, uh, he, there's, there's a bigger role somewhere for Gabriel Byrne in this movie, and I, I just feel like maybe they could have uh fit him in uh elsewhere. Without adding to the runtime, of course. So, of course, with that being said, you have to uh, do a little give and take. But I'm sure those things that could be cut to accommodate more Gabriel Byrne. Um, so yeah, that's that's my Mulligan moment. So, Sean,
1: uh, The piggyback off of yours, but instead of Gabriel Byrne, it's James Lagro. Uh, you and I both. Now I'm a big Lagro fan. Um, he's got. There's no point for him whatsoever. He's in two scenes, and it's barely—it's not even clarified till that he, second. He calls scene him when goofy or weird or you know, something like that. When he, he's talking about the blender, right? Like the first time you see, like, uh, right, right. He's like, "Man, you—you're you, weird. You really got to think about your blender." Like, he uh, g- establish him a little more. Like, I didn't even pick up that they were supposed to be colleagues because I'll be damned if he looks like a you know seven hundred fifty dollar an hour attorney. Like, you know, I'm buying that off of that the Robert first Dean scene. Character. That- this nameless. No, I just it. I thought he was. I thought he was there with Broncato and the other guy. I didn't know he was one of the attorneys he, in that scene. He's just scene.
0: sitting there. He doesn't say a single fucking word. He's just no, sitting he's there, just there, looking like he's got, the Happy Gilmore's caddy and shit, like the homeless guy.
1: Right, right, and then, and then you know he's rowing around with with Will Smith. You know, only reason that the only reason for that is to give you know, uh, S- uh, Scott Con and Barry, or Lauren Dean and Barry Pepper time to trade out watches and pens, you know? So either establish him or get rid of him. Cause I like seeing LeGro. Yeah. You gave him two scenes, five lines of dialogue and I suddenly know what the fuck he does or what he's there for. So that's, that's my mulligan is, you know, do more with LeGro or get him out of it. Fair enough. All right.
4: Cam. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about like pacing and uh, you know the movie being a little too long, but I, we'll just leave that aside. A little nitpick I had, something that I wish they'd done a little more with, was I thought Jamie Kennedy was actually a, a lot of fun in this movie. And you have the scene where um, him and I believe Barry Pepper are up in um, Hackman's you know HQ and run yes. out after the explosion, and then they are completely ignored right. from that point forward. So like you have no sense of what happened to that character. I would have liked. Honestly, just a snippet of a little moment where you see Jamie Kennedy—you know, I don't know—covered in like cartoon character, you know, Black Ash, walking out and just making well, some sort s- of quip or something. Like, just something to acknowledge that this do character is alive because you just cut at the end. Okay, at, at the, the, end.
0: End. Okay, yeah, at the very end, because he it says like it's an yeah. STO standard training op. Yeah, yeah.
4: But like, just give that moment, little bit right. of a acknowledgement that these characters survived yeah, I in
5: that okay. moment.
0: I'll, 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 that makes sense. All right. How about you, Scott?
5: Yeah, I was also looking at you know you know tightening up the middle section or you know tr- cropping something out. But uh, if we're gonna pick a a, a tidbit, something uh, something that bugs us, um, I don't like how the lingerie shop operates. <laughs> I am a problem with how that was designed. <laughs> Too much neon lighting um, for your taste? I you know I, no no I I less lighting is the best for me. You know the less you can see of me, the better. But like. If I want to go in and buy some lingerie, they've got all these models so you can sort of point at the, the girl right. that's closest. But what if you're a stocky man in his mid-30s who wants to go and buy some lingerie for himself? Mm. Have they got a guy <laughs> in the back just to, to <laughs> point at too? They, they wheel him out and go, is he on the way to being morbidly we're, obese? Is he looking like out you? out Bobby. Yes? Great. I'll have some of his, please. Special guest yeah. star, Jason Alexander. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright then. <laughs> Let's move on to finger looking good.
2: It's finger licking good.
0: My favorite moment of this movie. This was tough. It was a lot of stuff to uh, pinpoint. Um, I'm, To be honest with you, I'm still not even 100% with this answer. And I was going to go with the robe chase through the uh, downtown scene where they go through the tunnels and whatnot. Uh, where we really get to see the NSA just go into action with tracking him live as he's on the run. Whether or not the technology is you know bogus, that's neither here nor there. It's still entertaining to me. But um, and um, like I said, I'm still not sure if that's even my favorite part. But in the moment when I wrote this list down, that was so I'm going with it. It is the rope chase. As I'm, I'm going to dub it that.
1: Um, Sean, how about you, man? Um, mine is it's very simple moment. Um, nothing extravagant, but it's going to be the whole Faraday cage, because to me, that is what solidifies what I've been saying the whole right. time. Like when I first saw that, I'm like, boom. Okay. Yup. That is my man from the conversation. Like to me, that is what just zeroes it in. No questions asked that we are now witnessing the further adventures of Harry call. Um, and that's why I like it. Cause it's not confirmed. It's not denied. Maybe it's a little fan service, but For dorks like me, especially those that really appreciate Coppola's conversations, seeing that brought into the mix, I'm like, yeah, man, that's 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 him. Uh, That there, you you can't tell me uh, it's not. Cam?
4: Um, yeah. So, like, I think uh, for me, it's kind of tough because I think it really just hovers around the uh, Hackman Will Smith chemistry. So I'm gonna say the bit where they're just you know talking and Hackwood gives his speech about you know turning weaknesses into strengths that bit of uh, That's
0: good. conversation. Like That's different and I like it. Scott, how about you buddy
5: I was actually stuck between the two different chase sequences the robe chase as you mentioned earlier or the, the Jason That's a Lee good one. chase. Yeah hmm, yeah. Um, because that didn't get a mention. it was uh now I know he's a Scientologist, it was doubly effective <laughs> to see Jason Lee get smushed into the ground <laughs>
1: I like where your head's at, Scott. Yeah, thank
5: you, thank All right then, you very
0: much. Let's move on to our movie MVPs.
5: All right.
2: Now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is...
0: For me, it's Will Smith, and this it was the movie that convinced me to buy up all the Will Smith stock in Hollywood. I was a believer of this, uh, of this guy. Uh, as soon as I saw this movie, it convinced me that he could tackle more than just, you know, big action studio blockbusters. Um, and it, it, I think as i mentioned, the chemistry between him and Hackman throughout this movie, I, I I'll say this. I was going to give this to Hackman as for as good as Smith is, Hackman's just as good, if not better. But there's that the the f there's the point that we see we, we get a whole film of Will Smith, but then we only see Hackman. He comes up at the 58 minute mark. He's only half. He's only in it for half the film. That's why I had to kind of like narrow it to um, Will Smith over uh, Hackman. But either way, they're they're both just stand up uh, actors in this film. So. Sean, what is your who's your MVP for this?
1: Uh, I'm I'm not to agree with you on that. It would be Will Smith because this is the one where um, it convinced me that because you know growing up being you know mid twenties around that time, every summer was a new Will Smith tentpole right. fucking blockbuster production. You seen one, you kind of seen them all. This one's in the West. This one's in space. You know. Uh, This one, it felt that way a little bit with the marketing, but it was smarter and sharper, a little bit more slick and polished than your Will Smith tentpole, like, Fourth of July weekend movie. Um, And that's where it showed that the guy was more than just, you know, like I said, the fresh prince in space or the fresh prince in the West. So, yeah, what you said about Smith is, you know, I'm going to piggyback on it
4: um yeah i would say i gotta go with hackman i think it's a little bit of the um you know the connery and the rock factor it's like he may not be there the majority of the screen time but every second he's on screen it's just Mm -hmm. pure value um and it's really the you know the old pro coming in and just showing the young kid on the block in this case will smith what he can do and
5: why he's a movie star
4: it's just a pure movie star performance and scott
5: Well, I I think I'd be repeating everyone if I said Will Smith. So that's my main pick, but as a side pick, I'm going to pick um, Jason Lee's court <laughs> <for> acting.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm going to
5: love this guy.
4: Oh,
0: that's great. All right, and finally, finally, final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. We'll just go down real quick because uh, we're kind of on rapid fire here. Uh, just do our final rating out of five. If you wanted to give a final thought, like a sentence or two real quick, that's cool. Me, final rating for this movie, four and a half stars out of five. One of my personal favorite movies for a number of reasons, other than just the fact that it's, that the setting's familiar to me, it's in Baltimore. It's a legit film. It's a legit good film, um, with so much stuff that I like about the movie, the the acting, the, 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 the cast itself, um, just, just so much, um. Yeah, I was going to give it a four, but it's it's actually one of my personal favorite movies. So with that being, that gives it a, an extra half star. So four and a half out of five is my final rating for Enemy of the State. Sean, quickly, how about you? Uh,
1: I'm going to give it three and three quarters, almost a four. Um, and I, I will say it's better than I remembered. I was dragging my feet a little bit going into watching this today. Uh, because like I said, I've been so long side seeing it. And I guess I was telling the 47 year old me like, ah, 20, you know, five year old me didn't like it. You're not going to like it again. And 25 year old me just like watched it once and kind of forgot about it. And so I'm definitely not going to wait another 20 years before I watch it again. Um, it was, like I said, better than I remembered, you know, didn't bring anything new to the table, but I didn't need it to you know, it, in two hours, it got it got the job done. You know, it allowed me to turn my brain off and, like, you know, just have a fun ride and point out background locations that I've either, you know, grabbed lunch or bought a bag of weed at, you know, and that was that's always fun, you know, when you see a movie All from right. home. So, yeah, three and three quarters out of five. I don't know what would put it up to four, but, you know, I've got some action thrillers that do better than this one.
4: I would go probably 3.5. I think it's like a really slick, efficient thriller of this era, and there's a lot of bad ones in this era. I think this is a really solid, fun one. I don't think it really is going to stick with me the way that, you know, as I said, some of the other Bruckheimers, like The Rock, for example, is one that I will rewatch, I'm sure, many times over the course of my life. I don't think that'll be the case for Enemy of the State. I just think it's a really interesting one in Will Smith's career. Fun to see him with Hackman, Um, but... I don't know that it's as ultra memorable as it could be and i look at what this movie's doing and in a lot of ways it's the sort of things that uh the Bourne films would improve upon in like four years
0: okay it's a cool way of putting it i'm i'm picking up what you're putting down too so um scott finally how about you What's your final rating
5: once again cam and i are in sync three and a half out of five i think it's a it's a really fun time it's uh it was my first watch, and I think I, I definitely enjoyed watching it. I didn't, uh, I didn't struggle for two hours, which is always a good sign for me because I tend to lose a lot of interest if the film right. doesn't keep my interest going. Really, I'm, I, I'm one of the first people to grab their phone out if <laughs> I've lost never interest good. in the film. Unfortunately, I've been, I've been programmed. I know I've been programmed to grab my phone, but um, you yeah, know, it, it's, it's fun. It's punchy. You know, there's things we could trim, of course. It's got a little bit of that sort of Hitchcock wrong man thing going for it, which I like in a spy film. And it's got some like memorable moments, you know, with the chases we mentioned and the old switcheroo at the end. I think it's quite good. So I had a good time with it. I think there's things that could be done better and it's definitely not going on like my top list. But uh, I I, would say I had fun. 3.5. All
0: right. Well, this episode's been sponsored by the NEC Turbo Express, because fuck (laughs) Sega and Nintendo. (laughs) This portable version of the TurboGrafx-16 is certainly where it's at. Can you hide corrupt government videos inside of a Game Boy or Game Gear? I didn't think so. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects of approval, and that will bring things home for this edition of the show, one down many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on our website at effectpodcast.com and support the show on Patreon for as little as $3 a month, where we have a variety of tiers, each containing an assortment of perks in exchange for your support, including bonus episodes and Patreon-exclusive shows, with the occasional surprise thrown in between. And speaking of Patreon, shout out to Nick Browneller for his support. Our Patreons also get a special shout out each episode. So be like Nick and act quick. We'll return later on this week, (laughs) right here on the main feed, where we'll be chatting up my personal favorite John Waters film, Serial Mom from 1994. Ladies and lads, we put a lot of time and effort into this podcast each week, so please, please, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or directly at our website under the Reviews tab. It's le- it, uh, it lets us know how we're doing, and it helps us conquer the mighty algorithm. Follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and leave us an email. And you can also perf- you can also find direct links to all the platforms mentioned at our website. Thank you so much, Scott, Cam, um, Spy Hards Podcast. Why don't we give you guys the floor for a minute or two? Let the people know where they can find you, what you guys do, all that jazz. Here you go. Have at it, boys.
5: Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, well, as you did say in the beginning, we are spy movie specialists. Every week we decode classic spy cinema. It can be Bond, it can be Bourne, and it can be something in between. And basically, we try to find out if the film makes the knocklist, list, which is our... Well, I'll throw it to Cam to explain the knocklist. list.
4: Yes, the knocklist is our tortured acronym for Need to See Official Classics of the Spy Arts Podcast, where every week after we talk about a movie... We decide if it belongs in the pantheon of all-time greats. And so, you know, does every James Bond movie make it on? What about the Austin Powers stuff? And so there's a lot of debate about movies that like, people often feel very passionate about. And it's like, do they truly belong on the list? Well, every week we try to answer
5: that question. And, yeah, in terms of finding us for spies, we're annoyingly easy to find. Because you can find us basically everywhere at Spy Hearts, spyhards, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok, apparently. Yes, you can TikTok find us is there. a thing
0: now, so we, too, have jumped on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thank you all so much for your time. Um,
1: yeah, thanks, guys, it's, for it's real. Been a blast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, no, thank
4: you. Thank you for until
0: yeah. next episode when we keep this conversation going about Baltimore and things filmed in between, take us out of here, Sean.
1: All righty, gang. Ed Nash, I'll see you all again next time. When those theater lights go down, the opening credits begin to
0: roll. Cheer up, beautiful people. We'll see you all again next week. It's been fun, but the fun's finally done. Take care now. Bye-bye.
2: This concludes our broadcast day.